Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Can I cut this whole beginning? <laughs> <laughs> it's, maybe, it's maybe a bad idea to maybe joke a, about maybe this. Maybe a bad idea to joke about it. Uh, yeah. Drive through it. Drive I, mean, through. I don't know. But Wasn't a joke? I mean, I'm going to cut it anyway. So <laughs> try to give me a clean, <laughs> clean place to cut it. How about I just start again? Yeah. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is the third attempt at getting this started. Um, I'm sure it's going to go just fine right now. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. It's also the very first recording of the decade. I am Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink, at least until they, they fire me or get rid of me in some other way because of scandal. Um, but until then, I'm here. I'm delighted to be here. And I'm delighted to be in Williamsburg today because we're recording at our auxiliary studio, which mm. is actually Moynihan's primary residence, which <laughs> my primary little strange. residence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Michael and that Moynihan would be Michael Moynihan of Vice News. Also here, uh, Matt Welch, Reason Magazine, is the editor at large over there. And our very good friend, Anthony Fisher, insider, who has some new title, which I've already forgotten because that is part of my shtick here. And, and he's a uh, Harpo Marks tonight because uh, the, he's a the, new mi- the, new, <laughs> the new microphone that I bought is yeah. broken. Thank he you, Amazon. He has a broken microphone He's in doing front some of him. seriously racist accents with his hands. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that was yeah. actually faux sign language, which is that's even I mean. worse. Yeah. No, that's like, not it's racist. All, it's it's all just bad. monstrous. How could you, how could you, Anthony Fisher, <laughs> denigrate <laughs> the hearing impaired? Wow. Wow. You know the if best thing I just realized is like, it's like literally like, like knocking on the glass at a zoo. Uh-huh. I, I, they don't, they can't do anything to me. I could just make fun of Anthony right now and say he's doing all sorts of things. He might not even be in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Did, you hear, yeah. Did you hear about that court order? Oh, my Anthony? God. Yeah. oh. the Amber alert. No, nope. I don't even know what an Amber alert is, but one went off. When he the, came uh, in here. the fire trucks just outside the building. Yeah, apparently right there's a now. fire across the street. Well, the citizen app told us that there was a fire. I don't know why you read that shit. I, I don't can't. know why I should take I it off. I had it for a bit and I, I deleted it because yeah. it was just like, it was like cat in a tree on yeah. Canton in, you know, South eighth. I'm like, why well, do I care about this? But though well, that's, that's actually nice. When I was in bed, it was a little more disconcerting than geez. that. Most of the time. bed is literally Triple like homicide. A subway. Next door. Like it's like a suburb of Norway. <laughs> like a suburb of Oslo now. And you're like trying to make it sound like it's the hardest place on earth. I'm just saying that things would happen occasionally. There, there really was like a, not even a triple homicide. There was like four people shot I and killed. Five. But I think it was four. It was on Stuyvesant it might have been five. And, 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 and Fulton. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. It was, that, it was, was like, that was very close to my old, old place. It was like, and I love that they always in the, in the news accounts, they say at an illegal gambling club. I'm like, oh no, it wasn't one of the legal ones. <laughs> <laughs> that was like right on Flatbush or, or not Fulton. I mean, good God. I, I am actually going to take off my yeah. hoodie because oh, it's God. warm in here. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. Because it's warm in here. Yeah, it's Do you winter. remember how it was suggested before you opened the show that you might well, you think know, about? I, this is already start attempted start number three. So we might as well just Here's keep going. Go through it. Can I, can I say one thing? Yeah. I just, this is something because I know I'll forget it. And yeah. now I'm just going to take control because Camille's. Yeah, just go ahead. Um, there's a, uh, there was a British guy, um, who sent an email and it was a really nice email oh. and I'm going to, going to respond to it. Um, and he said something and I'm trying to find it quickly, um, that he's, he's, he claimed that, uh, he really liked the show and he yeah. was, he was very, very, um, very complimentary, but he's, he claimed that I, uh, I had a problem with British people. 
Um, and he's like, I get it. It's, uh, it's still, but it's not true. And I think that I want to clear the air at the beginning that this is not an anti Albion podcast. We are very pro England. In why, a lot of ways. why do you think he would have that perspective? I think because I've made fun of English people sometimes. I make I fun of everyone. Literally the first thing that I edited that you wrote for Reason was magazine yeah. was called <laughs> The Trouble with Old Blighty. And it was just an unhinged yeah, rant yeah, yeah, sure. about like yeah. getting your ass no, kicked no, repeatedly. No, no, the, my, my, my argument, my argument uh, the weirdest thing about that is I made fun of some dude at a random blog. It was just like a joke piece. And it was like some guy who did the thing that everybody does. Like, oh, they sound smarter than us and everything. And so I made fun of this dude. I don't know, some guy who had a blog. And he has stalked me for like 15 years because of this. Like, I'm not kidding. And he's just like, you know, I demand an apology. I'm like, go fuck yourself, buddy. I don't say you wrote a stupid blog post and I made fun of you. And it's like, nobody read my piece. So don't worry about it. He was, and, his yeah, name was Nigel what? I, <laughs> his name was Simon. He loved me. <laughs> no, he's American. But no, that piece was about... Um, how Americans have a, have this hilarious idea of what British people are. And it's because Brits were very clever. Well, not clever. It was just a state owned television monopoly at the time that was exporting, uh, you know, Alistair Cook who did uh, uh, masterpiece theater and all this like highbrow stuff. And then they, they give you a little lowbrow with Benny Hill, but You'd mentioned Benny Hill to British people and they're like, I'm sorry, we've never seen him. That's for you guys. We don't know, actually. Everyone always says it by Benny Hill. But so I wrote this piece a long, 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 long time ago saying that when the, when the uh, pound was strong, the dollar was weak. It was great because we're getting an opportunity to see that British people are not what, what we think they are. The piece basically was saying that, yeah, no, you get to see now that most of you know, the country is wearing like tracksuit bottoms and like you know, puking on the street at 11 o'clock. The Daily Mail does a thing every year on like New Year's where they get like have photo essays. Have you seen this? Every oh, it's year. not just New Year's. It's like it's the entire time. holiday yeah. season. It's like Cardiff right now. And there's like people puking like, uh, like <laughs> in the air. And it's also like how-to stories. Like, okay, when you go to your hen party for your the holidays, yeah, yeah, here's, yeah. you know, here's how you want to puke at six o'clock yeah. so you have room <laughs> left at midnight. And it's all like, it's all people wearing clothes that they should not their bodies should are telling them not to wear, but they're doing it anyway. And there's one photo and I have to find it. Um, that is like, it's like an incredible, like it's, it's like a painting and like everyone's doing something different. They're all like collapsed in the street and some like guys on the ground, like grabbing for a spear. It's amazing. Like, but I might've made some jokes about British people, but that's, that's, that's probably not, um, that's, it's not true. I, I'm, I'm, I've been accused of Anglophilia at times, which I also reject, but, uh, but I was probably a time in my life where there was uh, um, people that were British that I didn't like very much that were screwing up. <laughs> but maybe that I was think it. it's important. I think that was probably it. It's important without necessarily preemptively confessing who, uh, but to uh, <laughs> to maintain some healthy disdains for just at least a couple of countries. Well, it's funny because I, I mean, the people of those countries, not I, like the, the leadership. I was on um, my way to Libya. And uh, this is before the revolution and their uh, piece. I also wrote for them and I changed planes in London and we missed our connecting flight to Tripoli. And there's one every like eight years. So we had to like stay and we stayed. I, I think it was something like Slough. It was some hideous place. And we went to a pub there and I said to this other journalist who was with me, who's a fantastic drunk and you know him and, uh, and a very funny guy. And I said, it's going to go, it's going to be British about it. It's going to go pear shaped here, isn't it? And it, within two minutes, it was like, it was like, this guy's like blaming 
my friend for like the Iraq war. And he's like, actually, I didn't support the Iraq. I actually wrote vocally against it. And, and I, well, <laughs> it was just like, so it got really bad. And like, we had to leave Did this pub. Big B come out and break a glass against your, you know? uh, there was, uh, there was some, and then when we were on the, um, we were on the bus uh, to the airport, the uh, bus driver called him a cunt. <laughs> So that was like, you know, every time I go, I always get some. Accurate enough. I just like to point out that, uh, you know, a good 17% of the feedback that we get, which is overstating it by a little bit, is like, you know what? Camille isn't talking enough. And so Morgan say, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just like take, takes the ball, starts <laughs> just rambling about his Okay, money. what did I say before we started? Camille, you got to talk more. Yeah. And he's like, sometimes I want to, sometimes I don't. I don't know why you talk like that in my imagination. <laughs> Because he's stoned again. Yeah. That's that much yeah. is clear. So you, what we're doing true. here. Don't go and talk like. Dear <laughs> listeners, is that this is the first non-Patreon Williamsburg tape. Yeah. Right? yeah so yeah. It's, we're a little, bit, qualify. We're yeah. a little bit wrong-footed here. Bit wrong-footed. You know? Mm-hmm. So like we're trying that's to figure fine. out vibes. It's No, it's all good. It's yeah. like you want to break up the routine. But in doing so, we've broken up the routine. And so, I mean, there's the candles. There's things on fire for some reason. We're drinking pre-made Manhattans. I, 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 well, these, it's, are, it's candle. I mean, there's. You make it sound like a fucking Fleetwood Mac video. There was one candle. It's a little bit like a Fleetwood <laughs> Mac video. The, the the booze though. These are leftovers from the weird firehouse New Year's Eve New Year's orgy party that weird. you had. You kept inviting me over and over again, but I was like, I can't. I can't come to your weird sex party, Matt Welch. I mean, how was that? Can you talk about your sex party? I mean, the question answers itself. Uh, no, it's fine. There's uh, there's some uh, mild amounts of video of uh, various ladies that we know work in the poll um, <laughs> at the fire. That's literally true. That's actually, actually true. Actually true. Including yeah. uh, the, the person who made these pre-made Manhattans for us, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Nancy Rommelman mm-hmm. uh, or maybe her husband, Din, who um, he likes to drink. On one hand, was that your impression? Who? Din? Yeah. Is that his name? <laughs> Din? <laughs> D-I-N? Din? It's been... It's, it's been been, a typeface. We, we, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is. We have been uh, kind Being of condensed. living the Daily Mail <laughs> Society pages yeah, the yeah, last 10 yeah. days. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, the, like the, this, this podcast has been like a sober place compared to... Uh, oh, my God. It's been, a, it's been a pretty... It's always the been a pretty side. intoxicated uh, uh, couple weeks, I think. Yeah. I was, I went to the, to wine store today and I took a picture and sent it to you guys and I bought like seven bottles of wine and I was, cause early in the day I was like, I'm going to start exercising yeah. and I'm going to, and then the screen went black and it said two hours later. And I was like drunkenly putting them in the checkout, trying to scan them myself and like, whoa, whoa, relax. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I, I, I don't do, do you do any new year's things? Any new year's resolutions? Resolutions? Like yeah. Yeah. I mean. Internally for six hours and then yeah, then it's like Camille, do you five yeah. o'clock? So well, I see the reason Camille right. doesn't talk. He's like literally no, like doing his taxes. I realize this. Put your fucking computer away. <laughs> this is stop it. This is the it's truth called, here. I you notice I I didn't bring my computer for like two and a half years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Like I have my phone if I need to look at it. Yeah. I brought it here just because I need to uh, respond specifically to things that uh, people wrote. But but most of the time I'm in the moment, man. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. you guys get lost. Yeah, he's in literally what you're saying. He's going, mm, looking mm. at the screen. Mm. Yeah. Looking at the screen. It's, it's called, like a, mul- I gotta, one, it's called multitasking. I got to raise my Z round. This is what you do when you have to figure out the rest of the show as we're going along. Right. If a we lot of get together and do some been... pre-production ahead of time. Actually, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is like the architecture of, very much. Of, a, of a favela <laughs> in Brazil. This is like trying to maintain some control so that we could navigate the various issues of the day and have conversations 
conversations about things that are relevant to people beyond just the way that we have. Literally, I know. No, it's we just, have yeah, the conversations yeah, just kind of come together organically for the mm-hmm. Williamsburg tapes, but that's not what we do with the regular dispatch. Mm-hmm. There is there is an agenda, and we must prosecute the agenda. <laughs> but you know what? What makes it press har- the offensive? What you know what makes it hard to do that. Is when you're like t- when you're like forward. talking about the failings of this particular podcast on the podcast. I'm not doing <laughs> it. You guys are you guys are doing yeah. that. Let's stop. Let's stop talking about deficiencies. Let's start talking Camille? about what's working. Camille, I'm Camille, supposed to be the you, franchise player. We're talking about practice. Can again. I ask a question? Yeah. Do you, do you have any of those New Year's things as re- resolutions? No, I, I, I don't believe. Being a seventh, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in New oh, Year's resolutions. You don't. Yeah, because New Year's Day is kind of bullshit. It's I mean, just like an arbitrary. <laughs> it's an arbitrary point. I mean, right? it's the new year. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. sort of, yeah. kind of. You want to go, are you gonna, I mean, is this like a Gregorian why we, calendar why argument? Do we count, why do we count for the 31st of December? Why do we count from June 15th? We could do that. You must right? be stoned. This is like a stone. Yeah. Argument. Yeah. It's not a stone. Yeah, argument. it isn't. Like, man, what is it? Why can't it be sixty days, man? Praising us is thirty. Whose fucking idea is that? What does it all mean, yeah. man? Yeah, no, but really, still bring Michael Collins be, to it again. Yeah, it could Collins be June fifteenth. So no, it's kind of arbitrary. It's silly. All right, yeah. okay. Well, I, I feel that way about like all holidays. It's all silly. Well, why don't I ask you this question? Also, all holidays are white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Well, that's obviously true. Obviously. Except for Kwanzaa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Juneteenth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Every time he burned that one with the crack pipe in the basement, it was like, that's for, <laughs> that's Ron Karenga, by the way, if anyone's, well, anyone's like, what was it called? U.S. Uh, it was like know. U.S. Slave or something. It was I like the name know. of his movement. And, yeah. And he was in, um, in L.A. But this is this great. This is before, after he was an informant. Uh, I think it was the whole time. And uh, there's also, there were like, there was like, like they were dying and getting shot. And, but there was, it was uh, this internecine war in the black power movement. Like it, was, yeah. it wasn't white supremacy. It was like black yeah. Panthers and, and these guys that were doing it. But Ron, little Ron Karenga history lesson never hurt anybody. Yeah. So you don't have anything Camille on the docket where like, you're going to, you're doing something new. No, you're changing something. No, no, no. I'm okay. always, I'm always doing something new. I'm always, mm. it's always the exact same resolution for me every day when I wake up, which is when, just when, <laughs> oh my God. when, when that's it. Don't lose. Yeah, okay. When. Is that bad? You finally get yeah, that uh, mean, constitution kind of, I mean, party it's... nomination that you've been seeking this whole time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wrestle it from Rocky de la Fuente's no. Uh, iron <laughs> no <thank> claws. <laughs> <laughs> the steely so grip of reform, Rocky De La Fuente. It's reform party. He Thank is. You very much. He is a uh, uh, true fact um, on YouGov polls right now. He's polling at one percent in the GOP primary. Really? Um, which is only more 1%. than more than Bill Weld. Bill's at two. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, name recognition. Rocky DLF. Yeah. yeah, at one. Well, we could we could continue to talk about people who will definitely not win the presidential election, or we could talk a little bit about the Democratic primary race because there's some new numbers with respect to monies that have been raised. Sounds like Bernie Sanders is the money leader after this last quarterly yeah. report. Um, Pete Buttigieg is right behind him, mm-hmm. and it also I believe it was. Uh, um, Biden, who was in third place, and the only other person thus far who seems to have announced precisely what their numbers were were Andrew Yang, and he's in that fourth place. Seventeen slot. million or something. Could like be wow. that there is yeah. a decent amount of yeah. money raised by some of those other Yang candidates, Yang. but I suspect if Elizabeth Warren had anything to crow about, she would be crowing. Um, Donald Trump has a bit more money than all of those characters yeah. uh, in terms of what he's raised thus far, but he's also running in the the race as the Republican candidate all by himself. It's mm-hmm. almost certain that, that he will get the money. And I mean, the combined 
total for all the Democratic candidates exceeds what Donald Trump is raising. And let's so remember, so Joe important. Walsh up there. Let's, I have no I, idea. I actually, he was just tweeting at me as we were. Uh, is that we right? Talking. Yeah. Asking um, if you could borrow some money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Broken down on we'll the corner. We'll see what their uh, <laughs> figures are like. But the last quarter's uh, uh, fundraising numbers, Trump was out raising the combined field that was running against him, which at the time was. Um, Joe Walsh, Bill Weld, and Mark Sanford, the latter of, of whom has since dropped out. But Trump was out raising them combined 194 to 1. Um, and it's not just because he gets to raise all the money, but they've merged the Republican National Committee with the Trump reelection campaign. Like, remember what Trump was like, my God, it's so corrupt. And I don't know why he talks like that in my impersonation, <laughs> but my God, it's so corrupt that the collusion between like the DNC and Hillary Clinton, yeah. because, you know, they're clearly rooting for her. They've merged the campaign mm -hmm. uh -huh. with this thing. It is so much more collusion than anything Trump or anyone else uh, had ever accused Hillary of. And that took a few news cycles in 2016. Mm. We probably talked about them on the podcast at the time. And like, nah, no, no, shit. no collusion. No, no collusion. Um, so how much does this matter? Because I've seen this news all over the place. Does it matter that Bernie Sanders has completely outraised the field? Is this actually an indication of anything other than Bernie Sanders supporters oh, are far more willing to send him money? That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, you can sort of end, end Which, the conversation right there. Because I don't in, know in what, a way else, that that's, what else does that mean? It, 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 it doesn't mean a ton. I mean, it means that Bernie Sanders his fans mm -hmm. are kind of the left-wing version of Ron Paul fans, mm -hmm. right? And, and, but there's just a bigger, there's a larger number of them because, you know, we're not, we're digging up Bernie's support for the Sandinistas and, and, and the Cuban government <laughs> and not his like racist <laughs> newsletters that you find in an archive in Wisconsin. Thank you, Jamie Kerchick. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just the, obviously wait, these wait, are you are, suggesting that he also has racist no, I'm just, I'm just only saying, Ron Paul, yeah, has only Ron Paul. Yeah. which he definitely didn't write. Yeah. By the way, I just want to underscore that. You can tell because they're right. Yeah, those, yeah. yeah. You know, you know what? You know the problem is is when, it, when it's called the Ron Paul Survival Report. I think it was one of the iterations of it, and it was in the oh, first God. person. I don't want to rehash this. Yeah, I know. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, I don't even know if, why. If I went you didn't there. write them, by the way, I mean, yeah. did he see the copy? And he was like, "That's great. I love no, it." No, he certainly didn't write them. He probably didn't see the copy, oh, and there's God. just no way the Matt Welch Survival Report gets <laughs> never out there, which then like employs people and makes a lot of sure, money. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a it's an important yeah, business, business venture yeah. out there. Yeah, I that think. was his Patreon back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you give us a few more dollars, I'll uh, oh, tell you God. my theories about phrenology. Oh, Should we do God. fake ads about like the ice cream that that lasts what? for twenty five years in your freezer? What's stuff? the What's the ice cream that lasts? I'm sorry. What you guys? What did you have a problem <laughs> Just with? have a stroke. Oh my God. Not at all. No, like Ron Paul does like, uh, to this day, he does ads for like, uh, you know, ice cream that can survive. Are you kidding? Uh, uh, no. A nuclear holocaust. And Do you stuff think there like, was any point when, when Ron this Paul. True, it's totally oh, true. I, by the way, I'm, the I'm the one, gonna look it I'm up. The one who's not questioning it. It's clearly true. Um, <laughs> it's like freeze dried ice cream that can like, you can Is put it, it made in, of gold. You can, <laughs> yeah. His pants are made of gold. But the funny thing about it is that, is that Ron Paul was like, there was a point at which he was like, you know what? I think I can, I can win this. And he said things his supporters were believing yeah. that. Yeah. And he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run it. closer to the craziness. <laughs> I'm going to like do my press conference from a bunker. And in it, it's going to have a bunch of ice cream that will never melt. <laughs> yeah, that happened. By the way, before you fucking email me, I know he didn't do it from a fucking bunker. Stop it. <laughs> and that those ads happened after he was no longer a presidential candidate. Yeah. Although it no, would have been kind of sweet if he would have done but it. But you know what? Also the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm presidential candidate Ron Paul. And you should buy my everlasting ice cream. 
Um, oh, Fisher's not Fisher's seen not. it. Fisher, oh, Fisher no. hasn't seen it. Oh, no. Totally fake news. Fake news Welch. Yeah, Strikes exactly. again. Exactly. I, I, I bet Chuck again. Todd's about to do a special about you right now. <laughs> <laughs> more, get another more on, that, more on that later. 25 people telling me I mispronounced um, Devin Nunes' name. Yes. But but Biden Biden being behind uh, Buttigieg, I mean, does that does that indicate much of anything? Obviously, former Mayor Pete um, is. Uh, because, I mean, he needs more money. Yeah. I mean, right. money, money is enthusiasm yeah. in many ways. There's mm-hmm. no enthusiasm for Joe Biden. Sure. Yeah. Right. Like there's an apparatus. There's people who can raise money for him, but it's not like Andrew Yang. That's enthusiastic money. The people who like Andrew Yang, the Yang gang, um, those are people who are like psyched up about it. Tulsi Gabbard's kind of the same way, a lesser uh, dollar amount. I think uh, Pete Buttigieg is the same way. And Bernie, definitely, totally the same way. Like mm-hmm. the people, the people who are donating to Bernie are doing it. And as they're saying it, like, you know, finally, a revolutionary politics that doesn't depend on billionaires. Mm-hmm. It's a great message for people who that means a lot to them. Um, it also, to me, what it indicates is that the basic structural problem that uh, the progressives have in this election is just never going to go away unless and until um, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders walk away. And there's no reason for yeah. certainly Bernie Sanders to walk away. But what did you think of, um, you know, uh, I think we were probably on on break on Christmas break for this, but the attack, uh, on, the on stage attack uh, about the wine cave. I think maybe we did discuss that at some point, mm-hmm. but of course it was brought up. Um, I think it was Andrew, what's his name, Kaczynski. Um, I don't know what to pronounce it. Kaczynski from mm-hmm. CNN. He, he like said, "Oh, you know, she had her own fundraiser with rich people at mm-hmm. like a." you know, where wine was like $800 a bottle or something. I, I, thought, I saw some report that suggested it might've been like the same wine cave at some point. Um, I don't but know I don't about know if that's that. True. I don't think so. But, but, but there, everyone just jumped down his yeah. throat and was like, no, no, look at this. This is, I knew this fake news would come out and I saw all these people attacking him for that. And I couldn't figure out the point they were trying to make because it is demonstrably true that prior to her, you know, focus grouping, and deciding that the Bernie kind of way of going was the way to go for the future of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to command the left wing of the Democratic Party, that previously she wasn't like that. Uh, and it wasn't so long ago that she was doing these fundraisers with rich people. And then I, I, who is the actress? Fisher could probably tell me after. Act, oh, it was Jane Lynch, the actress yeah. who said, hey, what, rich people don't get a say in this, too. And it was like, welcome to the ratio. That's a, that's going to be the biggest ratio mm-hmm. of a line. And it was, but at the same time, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, just kind of, kind of as a point, right? I mean, sure. And, and like, I, I don't, I, I thought that that debate, which I uh, forced myself to watch, uh, redounded more or less to the favor, favor of mayor Pete. And I say this questioning my own analysis, because I think part of what my growing interest in him is directly correlated to the amount of hate that has poured onto him by hmm. all the progressives in the field, uh, especially, you know, uh, big Bernie fans, everyone else just h- hates his guts and thought he was terrible in that moment. So I kind of, I kind of liked it. Um, but he brought up the right point, which is like, look, I need to raise money. Um, you know, Barack Obama did not stop raising money. He was out fundraising everybody. He's, he's the one who voluntarily got rid of the campaign finance limits. Like this has all been rabbit holed. But he, because he could raise all the money, he's like, okay, we don't need those limits. John McCain adhered to those limits because his name was on campaign finance reform. That is just totally, you know, 
no, we need to talk about dark money mm-hmm. uh, instead of actually the way that people raise money. Uh, and I'm with Barack Obama on this. Raise your damn money. If that's what you need to do. But it's also this is also something that is very specific, I think. And what we'll see in the general, but it's very specific to the primaries because that speaks to the motivated Democratic base. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Donald Trump is going to have a better and easier time banging on about not, you know, a couple of millionaires, billionaires, whoever's, you know, seeding these campaigns or raising money. But because, uh, you know, of course, during his campaign, he was like, it's all my money. It's all my money. And then, of course, that t- turned out at the end not to to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has uh, this economy. And now, I think it's, you know, ridiculous in, in, in a sense, because I don't believe that this really has much to do with him at all. I think the tax tax cuts probably were, were healthy for the economy. And, and, you know, everyone was predicting, I think myself included, uh, that, you know, when the stock market tanked the day he won, I mean, remember on election day, mm-hmm. and it was in the following day, the stock market kind of buckled for a bit and then, you know, rebounded and has not stopped. And that's really going to be the message of this election. And that that's going to be it alone mm-hmm. because th- those of us in, in the, uh, the enclaves and <laughs> in the, the bubbles, care about the things that Donald Trump says and that he's not presidential and he's, you know, boorish and knuckle dragging and all the stuff that's actually true, but nobody cares. I mean, they really care about the fact that Donald Trump can, can point to an economy that is, is good. And the unemployment rate is, you know, we're at full employment. You cannot tell people at that point, well, that doesn't include the number of people who are out of the workforce and actually not looking for a job, which is also true. But it doesn't resonate with well, anyone. Although he would point that out while he was running for office. Of course he would. Yeah, yeah. of course he would. Yeah. But it doesn't, I don't think that even then when he pointed out that it sure. resonates with people very much. I like, think actually your point shows just how unpopular Donald Trump is. Yeah. Because his numbers still suck. His numbers still suck. Also, I think it, it points out that the thing that motivates people in politics is no longer on a mass level as tethered to real world things that it has been um, continuously. I don't, I don't I mean... Look at the people who are the most kind of strenuous out there uh, or, you know, the the the, peop- the conservatives who have leaned into the Trump revolution to create their new manifestos and ways of being. And they're like trying to figure it out. The, the cats at American greatness and everything else like that. They're not saying, hey, look, scoreboard, the economy is great. They're out here saying like, no, the family is broken. Yeah, the sure. left is committing tyranny on my face and we yeah. need to do something about it. Like face tyranny. The apocalypse. <laughs> so much face tyranny. <laughs> I think we did some face tearing in the past couple of days. But. I want to make t-shirts that say face tearing. <laughs> I don't even know what you're it talking about. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. Stop it's thinking fine. it matters. You're right. That's no, true. but like if, if it was anything else, uh, if the economy is anywhere else, I think Trump would have no chance of None. being reelected. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. It's one that's often forgotten about is that is that these are numbers that exist despite a good economy and despite the fact that, you know, I mean, obviously what, 1,400 uh, American troops are going to be deploying to Iraq probably in the next 24, 48 hours if they haven't already. Um, the foreign war situation is a little calmer than it's been, obviously. Um, not out of all these conflicts, of course, but it's better than it's been. That combined with the economy, you should be, you know, hovering at 60% at this point, right? I mean, one would, one would expect that you'd be in 50s, 60, something around that. You'd be yeah. like, you know, very, very high, considering how horribly he started, too. It was a very clumsy first year mm-hmm. where nothing was getting done. And, you know, the immigration stuff, everything's getting knocked down by courts. And it was like they couldn't fill vacancies. And it was Keystone. Still, still can't. Well, still can't. Yeah. yeah. But it was Keystone government, like, on display. 
And now we're having debates with Donald Trump on actual policy Mm -hmm. and he still will. I don't know if he's going to run away with this or take it or anything, but you know, I mean, it's amazing to go back. I was listening to some podcasts where they were talking about um, the, they're playing clips from, you know, a couple days a week before the election. And I think it was our friend, Steve Kornacki. It might've been, I I don't want to defame him, but it was like, this might be the biggest uh, uh, landslide in, in modern political history. If it wasn't him, it was somebody. No, I think he talked about that. It was like, yeah. if it was a landslide and then he like expressed some regret over the way that that was okay. done. Yeah. Is- yeah. Steve, well, I, I never want to speak ill of Steve. Yeah. He's the greatest guy and the smartest guy in the room always. But yeah, it was, it was amazing that, that I, I mean, now when he actually has a record that people care about and the one that record is unemployment and the economy is like, you know, you can make the, the billionaire, millionaire, it's that billionaire argument and the, the, the rising gap between, between rich and poor. We have to have Russ Roberts on to talk about that. Somebody who believes that that's overblown, but it doesn't, I don't think people care about that so much because if you talk the language of the working class in a way that doesn't strike people as class warfare, I think that's the difference between Trump and Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders does sound like a class warrior, right? And that resonates with a lot of people, a lot of union guys, a lot of things. But Trump talks like one. He tries to talk like one of them. Not, I think there's, not, a, there's an overlap with the re- recent uh, British elections to talk about your favorite and least favorite country um, in that, <laughs> like, the conservatives were able to appeal to actual working class people, whereas labor appealed a lot to students. And students and people I mean, who live in like Islington. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, like Bernie that's Sanders. Is, it's, it's very much thing. that. It's, I mean, you know, I have uh, to uh, Corbin is, is, is the version, the crazier version of Bernie Sanders. Since uh, we, uh, we cut out uh, Fisher's vocal cords in an act of preemptive um, genetic malformation or something. Um, I don't even know what that means. I don't either, but I was just kind of, what was the, what was the last thing he said? Face, face, something <laughs> face, 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 off? Ter- face, face, tyranny? Face, tyranny. face, tyranny. face, tyranny. Okay. That's so, not making a ton of sense to me. Okay. That's fine. I don't know what he's talking about. The, the Manhattans are only like a we half, have pre-made half done. Manhattans. Um, yeah. So uh, that. beginning in 2016, <laughs> uh, Ron Paul started representing a uh, on the Glenn Beck program, mm-hmm. um, a company, a home freeze dryer company called oh. Harvest Rights. Yeah. Um, uh, Harvest Right freeze dryers can keep food preserved for 25 years, mm. equipping Americans uh, for everything from job loss. To economic or natural disasters. I mean, that's just did, that's just common sense. Did anyone? It's, <laughs> it's just the quote. Sense. The quote is totally what you just said. It's not a doomsday end of the world thing. That's right. He stressed. It's more about prudent living. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Paul looking out with, yeah. for what's best for you. Do you know, do you what's know, Bill O'Reilly doing? When, now? When I, my free living is like I buy like twelve rolls of paper towels, so I have to go back <laughs> in like a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but um, you visit Sam's. I'm Club. on the Harvest Right website, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I literally am. Did, did anyone see uh, uh, the the South Korean uh, movie Parasite? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm waiting, okay. for, I'm well, waiting to be able to yeah, rent yeah. it. Yeah, I, do you want to say anything? I don't want to spoilers, but those guys, certain characters in that. Could have done pretty well with the Ron Paul Harvest right. <laughs> right? Don't Those say anything else. Seen it, Don't say anything else. Well, no. Don't screw this up for if me. South Korea had Harvest right. It yeah. would have been a different okay. story. Well, a different story. Yeah. Also, there's there are metaphors. Uh, can you stop? There's just were metaphors. metaphors. Just stop. Yeah. Um, Uncut Gems is also a fabulous, fabulous film. Fisher has his thumb, thumb up over there. So fucking good. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned it before. Um, but there was something else. Uh, 
I don't want to talk about Mayor Pete's economic policies or his very inspiringly titled Medicare for all who want it, which just, I mean, seriously. But I do want to talk about something else uh, that Mayor Pete has said in recent days that he is in favor of decriminalization of all drugs, all drugs, all drugs. Now, that is a Camille Foster position. Um, I am confident he probably heard me talk about that and say I am I am explicitly in favor of decriminalizing all drugs. I'm very pleased by that. I don't think that it's a great strategy for getting elected president. But isn't that what's so great about but it? But that's precisely why I like it. Exactly right. I kind of disagree with you with that. It's great. Like, like it's, it's, it's at, at a minimum, it's great that he is, he is pushing open the Overton window. And this is something that I hope other candidates will be able to talk about and that you can look backwards to it. Perhaps the, the Bernie Sanders model of campaigning for things that seem outlandish at the time, four years later, it's, it's, the only thing that anyone will talk about essentially is Medicare for all with almost all of the candidates. Bernie also this, did that. Maybe this happens. Bernie also did this know. and credit to him last time around. He was the first major party uh, presidential candidate who wasn't polling at half of 1% to ever come out in favor of legalizing marijuana, which he did mm-hmm. in, I think, early 2016. And um, didn't make a big enough issue of it as far as I was concerned, just because like I like the issue and have for sure. my entire life. But also that's a big differentiator between you and Hillary Clinton and you can maybe access some things. But he still did that thing and he showed that you can do that and get away with it. But this is this is an even bigger differentiator because at for the sure. time yes. you'd already had states that were making the yeah. move to, to yes. decriminalizing marijuana. When you talk about decriminalizing all drugs in the United States of America. Like that I, might make some people stand up. No, on no. That. And as a, you know, I don't think he'll make it through, but as a kind of viable candidate, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really crazy kind of 50, 40, 30 year period that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And I think that at, you know, the, the end of the decade, there were some people, you know, always, you know, I, I saw people t- talking about Johan Norberg and people disputing it. Like everything's getting better. And this is, this is, been the greatest reduction of poverty, et cetera. But if you look at the shift in cultural issues, and of course we've talked in the past about gay marriage, gay rights, and thankfully all that stuff's been, been on the, the sort of glide path to becoming totally normal and totally acceptable. And then now it's being set back by, by this kind of idea that now we're going to talk about trans rights, but do it in the totally wrong way, mm-hmm. which is, I think we should talk about it in the exact same way as gay rights. And it should be something that we don't think about much either. Mm-hmm. But when you think about that, and then you think about the, the Bill Clinton trying to to talk around the fact that he smoked weed by, you know, like sitting with his campaign strategist saying, okay, well, let's just agree on, I didn't inhale. So right. I had it, but I didn't do yeah, it. Is yeah, that yeah. like a thing? Yeah. It's like a thing. Like it's like when handing your beer, when you're driving to your passenger, <laughs> it was like, wasn't, it wasn't me. He's got it. Yeah. They had the weed. It wasn't me. And then to people who, you know, I mean, remember the, the, it almost derailed George W. Bush campaign that is a drunk driving thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, obviously that's a different kind of thing. Sure. You could really hurt people doing that. Yeah. Should have, thing. should have derailed Laura Welch Bush a little bit more oh, than don't, George come W. Come on, man. She feels bad about it. I, I mean, come on. That, I, I feel bad. feel bad about her. She seems like a very nice person. That's she, told, she totally nice does. Nice. That was the only first time in my life on she this podcast I've ever been tender. She ran over her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> oh, stop. Why are you Jeez. doing that? Jeez. Can we just memory hole it and just pretend that she's nice? 
She's like a mom. I know. I mean, the kids are a little crazy, though. She's <laughs> being not a great mom. Uh, but, uh, but sorry. Jeez. <laughs> what? I, just, I figured we're going there. I might as well just attack her for something. Oh, my God. But <laughs> but no, the, I mean, to be, to go from that in mm-hmm. 92, and then, you know, Bush has a bit of it, and they're talking about cocaine in that book uh, by that guy that was canceled, remember? Um, who died, I think killed himself. Do you remember that uh, book that, that was this, and he was, it turned out it was this like anti-Bush book that a big publisher published. I think it was Simon Schuster or something. And it turned out the guy, the author had been arrested and convicted of trying to bomb a judge's car or something. It was like a big story back in the day, but there were stories on that about cocaine and the rest of it. And as we get further, it's like, I think Camille's probably right that it might be a bridge too far at this point to say all drugs. Um, but I like the fact that he's like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to say it. And especially because it's really strange that's happening. The people never learn about the problems of prohibition. They learn about the problems of prohibition of one thing at one time. And then they forget everything else that like the intellectual lessons that come from that. And the famous, the most famous to me example of this is when uh, Nick Gillespie interviewed Ken Burns about his documentary that was literally about prohibition. Uh-huh. And this came out in like 2010 yeah, yeah. and 2011. Yeah, I remember and, this. Yeah, And he was like, uh, so are there any, you know, I don't know, like applications to what you've learned uh, through this that might apply to our current circumstances? And Ken Burns is like, yeah. Yeah, no. No, <laughs> if there's anything, it's just that the tea party is bad. It's, <laughs> no! it's so insane. What are you? No, it's so weird. So, and and in the modern context, that is, you know, the Beto O'Rourke, uh, you know, along with Beto uh, idiocy of he was a guy who was way out in front on the drug war. He was mm-hmm. he was borderline Gary Johnson, and he came out as an El Paso City Councilman in 2008 or seven or something. Uh, wrote a book. Um, uh, about how the drug war should be stopped. And this is just Democrats weren't doing that at the time. And on the campaign trail this time in, in the short period of time that he was on the campaign, he was like, yeah, we should totally, um, you know, decriminalize uh, drugs. And then we really need to crack down on the opioids. Um, like just in the next sentence, people get it wrong or they get it wrong about vaping. God knows all around us it's happening left and right. Or, you know, you're, you can look behind you, by the way, and see those boxes, but I, you know, the black market started. If you think the two things that, uh, we can talk about this later, but mm-hmm. I talked to my friend in California in San Francisco and, uh, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. My friend, uh, he's a real person. Uh, and he, uh, is now smoking cigarettes again. Cause they like, ban- like in San Francisco, they ban. He's like, yeah, I just started smoking. I, I couldn't, yeah. I, I can't go around trying to find like the mint jewel pods, which is what I smoke. And, and I don't like the other ones. And you know, now I'm smoking cigarettes again. Actually told me that on the phone today. And then on the other end of that, I've got a, a supply of some bootleg products up there. So, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about bootleg it later. Products. It's not bootleg, you know, I mean, well, I do want to, I do yeah. want to talk uh, about the vaping <laughs> ban. Cause I think there's some interesting things there, but I, I just, with respect to the booty judge, um, with respect to the Buttigieg announcement um, about the decriminalization of all drugs, I, I, I'm glad that you just said that, Matt, because the fact is that I suspect um, even amongst our listeners and perhaps some newer listeners, it is not obvious why anyone would be in favor of decriminalizing all drugs. Mm-hmm. Like there is an argument to be made that one actually has to pay a little bit of attention to. And to the extent you haven't ever looked at some of the numbers in terms of like the actual 
um, rates of addiction for people who are first time users of like heroin or crack or some of these much harder drugs that are that are far more frightening to people. And um, when they hear about them, the the illusion that most people have in their minds is that people become hopelessly addicted to these drugs after trying them just one time. And if they do it, then it completely ruins their lives and takes over takes over their lives. But just none of the data supports that. And a great deal of data suggests that the actual drug war wounds, the ways that black markets operate, that all of these drugs that are sold on the black market are contaminated um, because they're sort of being distributed on this black market. There's no way to enforce any sort of law um, against your dealer if he sells you something that's laced with something you don't expect. It's not it's cut with all sorts of bullshit that could completely kill you and fuck you up and, and often cause you does. to get like an amputation or something. And often does. Oftentimes there are more injuries associated with the fact that the drugs that you are getting illegally are being cut in nasty ways by the dealers who are selling them to you or something else. Um, the, the other dangerous additives, um, far more than there are sort of these direct bad effects of the drugs that you are utilizing. Um, or perhaps people are mixing them in different ways, or perhaps it's just a matter of the various um, sort of uh, 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 baggage that comes that's associated with addiction and drug use in our country where we, we just can't sort of talk to people and reach out when we need help. There's a lot of complicated things associated with the use of illegal drugs in this country that, very well could be alleviated and I'm, I'm peddling this in a much softer way now than I might have otherwise, but that very well could be alleviated if these drugs were not illegal and the prohibition of alcohol, there are many lessons there that very well could be applicable to the market for illegal drugs in the United States. And I, I definitely think at a minimum, it's high time that we have a serious conversation about this. My fear, however, um, is that to the extent that Mayor Pete is having this conversation on stage um, in the next Democratic primary, and this comes up, and I suspect it will, um, way before Donald Trump, one of his Democratic opponents is going to bring this up, and they're going to look him in the eye and then look in the camera, and they're going to wag their finger and talk about how deadly and dangerous all of these hard drugs like meth are and heroin and how he sure. wants our kids to be able to buy this in the store and it's wrong and he's a monster. Um, don't take those people seriously. Don't you, take those arguments just seriously. just described a scenario in my head that has played out because I've, I've been asking myself the question, how, I mean, how does a, a mayor Pete win? What does he have to do? All right. What he has to do is he has to kill Joe Biden in some way because they're going after the same vote. The people who want to vote against Trump and don't want to vote for a socialist. That's basically, yeah. there's, those are the two guys, mm -hmm. Cory Booker to a, a different degree, but a pretty marginal degree at this point, who's also very good on most of those issues and has been for a long time. I mean, he's the democratic uh, version of Rand Paul in the Senate when it comes to uh, legalization of marijuana and a bunch of other issues besides good on that stuff. Um, but here's a way for mayor Pete to do that because Biden's been wrong about that stuff for the most part, his entire career, as he has been wrong about anything having to do really with like civil liberties. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say all war, as we've talked about in previous episodes, but he's been on the wrong side. Of a lot of those questions, too. Uh, but I mean, he's out there bragging and has in his past. about like, yeah, I was the guy who like helped write that crime bill. 94. That's that's me. Yeah. That Patriot Act. I was working on that for 10 <laughs> years before he was. He was working on parts that be the immigration uh, an, an effective death penalty act of 1996, which is a notoriously piece of garbage 
law that has really uh, affected the civil liberties of so many people, um, basically getting rid of, of the ability for people to appeal judgments that are laid against them if they're not a full citizen. It's really put so um, many people's lives in terror. Wrong side of all of that. Um, Mayor Pete can point this out and say, look, Joe, you know, had has to pass the baton to the next generation who understands that prohibition logic is wrong. And he's been on the wrong side of that for reasons of triangulatory politics, cynical triangulatory politics for a half century. Fuck him. Um, I'm going to do a, a slight shift and come back to that because a news alert just came up, which I think will change. Oh, um, kind of how the foreign policy of this of this election plays out. It could potentially do that is that the strike at the Baghdad airport that was mentioned earlier killed Qasem Soleimani, mm-hmm. the head of the Quds Force, and the most revered military commander in Iran, and the man who Dexter Filkins wrote an f- amazing profile of him in 2013 called The Shadow Commander uh, in The New Yorker, which I just looked up again. I loved that piece more than anything. And Soleimani is one of the... is I mean, it would be the name that you know associated with um, Iran outside of the leadership. And the fact that Iraqi TV just reported that Soleimani had been killed, we don't know who actually conducted the strike. Um, but he's dead. And that is going to have reverberations all throughout uh, the region because that is a big, big, big deal. And I don't know, who knows what will happen as, as, as a result of that. But I just popped up and I was completely stunned actually seeing that because that doesn't usually happen like that. You know, these guys tend to exist in, you know, the heads of, you know, Hezbollah and these, you know, Nassan Hassan Nasrallah and all these people, they just exist, right? They don't think the Israelis can't kill them in the rest of it. Didn't expect that at all. So can you contextualize this for, yeah, for listeners? Please. Because we've, we've had uh, actually it, it is, a it, pretty it, eventful last couple yeah. of days. Well, this has nothing to do with what I believe should be the response to this or, or how America should conduct its foreign policy vis-a-vis Iran. Um, and I had an interesting night in DC talking to a number of people who are involved in that policy and having debates with them. And it was, it was a fairly interesting thing. Cause I mean, I'm on a very different side. Um, but that said, what happens, you know, we can get into that later, but there's nobody who had this coming more than Suleimani. There's an enormous amount of justice in this. Because the United States has been fighting a war with Iran um, in the same way that we fought a war with the Soviets. But at the same time, we were not directly fighting Soviet troops as such. That did actually happen occasionally in, in places, you know, like Indochina and, and, and a few other places. But not, it wasn't really that. But we're fighting Iran. We always hear Iranian-backed militias. Those are Iranian surrogates. And if you want to think of an imperialist nation, and it's Iran, Iran has had exerted its influence over Iraq in a way that is basically made it a vassal state of Iran. And uh, Matt, you probably talked to this same guy that I did the other night on New Year's Eve, who is uh, a, a, a guy from Baghdad, um, who, is, who was at yes. the party. Yeah. And um, he told me an, an incredible story. He said that... Uh, he is uh, Sunni, and he was embedded in his neighborhood as a fake Shia because he has a Baghdad accent. People presumed he was Shia. And so he was like running this double game, pretending to be a Shia. And it's like the most amazing thing to think about is that there's no obvious physical indication that you're one or the other. But uh, there was a time at which he had to get out. And that's why he was here in New York City, because because of 
the difficulty of um, confronting Iranian militias that are, I mean, these Shia militias didn't come out of nothing. They didn't just kind of spring up. I mean, somebody's arming them, somebody's training them. And in a lot of cases, the people in them are not native of the country. So the question you ask yourself is why is this guy, if you read Filkin's piece, you will see the long arm of Qasem Soleimani. Is that why is he at the Baghdad airport? You know, I mean, what is he doing there? I mean, we know what he's doing there and it's been a fact of life for a long time. The Americans have known this and, you know, you get torn up by a roadside bomb that was planted by a militia, you know, depending on which one it is, if it's Maktad al-Sadr or if it's one of these other ones, this, the one that attacked the embassy the other day, which has Hezbollah on its name, which is an Iranian kind of front group, is that, you know, you're fighting a war with Iran. And that's, I mean, in some way, tearing up the Iran deal, which I, you know, that's a different episode, but tearing up the Iran deal and then coming in swinging at the Iranians. I mean, in some way it's like, Hey, you should calm down. You should calm down. It's like, well, in a way it's, it's of a piece with the fact that we've been fighting a war with proxies and with ourselves against the Iranians and the Iranians have been killing American soldiers in Iraq. It doesn't, it's, this is not to say about the, whether the war was sensible, the decision was sensible if it's been, you know, in efficacious fights that we've taken. None of that matters. I'm just saying just the, the simple fact that people often overlook is that the hot war with Iran does exist. And it's just, they do cutouts. And the thing that I thought was interesting the other day was when Donald Trump was blustering about it, the Supreme leader uh, said, and this is not much of a, uh, of a exaggeration. This is essentially what he said. He said, and this is so 2019, and this is the kind of legacy of the Iraq war. He said, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, no, exactly right. What are you going to do about it? And that's how, what Russia thinks when it goes into Syria, what are you going to do about it? You're not going to shoot our planes out of the sky. Mm -hmm. No, you won't. And the same thing Iran's like, you're not going to risk that. And then we, I don't know if we did this, but I'll tell you what, it it seems like it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if, if it wasn't us, it would have been, um, with the cooperation of the United States. And also if that gets into the very complicated politics of, you know, who's running Iraq right now mm-hmm. um, and their allegiances. Well, it, it, there's every indication that it was the United States who's carried out these retaliatory strikes. And I'm, I've called them well, retaliatory. Well, that we, that we know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're, they're retaliating against these militias, which yes. have been carrying out these attacks yes. against various targets, mostly associated with the United States. As you mentioned, the Iraq which is just has this crippled uh, government at this point that is being torn between the Iranians and the United States. Um, After an attack that killed not a U.S. service person, but a U.S. contractor Mm -hmm. at an Iraqi base, um, this this latest round of attacks um, was unleashed. Um, But one of the things that I found really interesting as I was reading the coverage about this is the fact that there appeared to be this, there's obviously an ongoing conversation between the Americans and their Iraqi counterparts. And the, there's obviously an appetite on the part of the Iraqis to have the United States there. Um, but when they had an opportunity to talk about these strikes publicly, the Iraqi government is castigating the United States for violating yes, yes, of course. the yeah. sovereignty of Iraq, Yeah, which 
puts the United States in a rather difficult position yeah. um, as they're projecting power abroad. And and this is a rather different decision than the Trump administration had made previously when the Iranians had, I guess it was a drone strike um, and the, the Trump administration refrained from responding. Um, obviously, here they tried to send a very strong message um, by carrying out these strikes afterwards, saying we're willing to do something about this if you're going to go after our hard targets. But how how hard can they push this? We do know that it sounds like something like 4,000 additional troops um, were spun up and are headed to the region at this point. That was at the beginning of the podcast. I think that's yeah, now. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think now we've, Eight to ten. I think we've launched the third Iraq war at this point. Yeah, so this, this is pretty substantial. Um, it, it's difficult to say how this gets ratcheted up, but this does also remind me of prior conversations that we've had um, about just the fact that the United States has so much of its presence abroad and all of our, our personnel and materiel that are stationed there. And apparently even the contractors who are there, who are often not included in that number are apparently all potential openings um, for people who are willing to take pot shots at these folks who are deployed there I don't think all it, opportunities for us yeah. to essentially get ourselves more deeply entangled it it doesn't if there's if there's kind of individual things like this if a contractor gets killed in afghanistan or iraq um you know putting down sort of cable wire or something um it doesn't elicit a huge response but this is part of a concerted campaign that the iranians have been waging against americans in the region for some time now and that it's not unexpected because I mean, what the Trump administration has done has, you know, been, you know, being very forceful with Iran and Iran's not going to sit there and, and, and take it because they don't really care. Right. We, we do care when, when, when the Supreme leader is going to say, what are you going to do? There's no such thing in Iran. What are you going to do? Of course. I mean, they're, they're going to, you know, I mean, keep in mind that, uh, cousin Soleimani was, was effectively running, uh, Assad's war in Syria. You know, this is 2013. I mean, this this is a man who this this is a fantastic moment in a way. It's a terrible moment because the reverberations will be 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 awful. And but there is there is a, a tremendous amount of justice in that man being being reduced to a to a, a pile of ashes because he's a complete scumbag. But the problem is is that this is a man that's in Syria, and this is a man that's in Iraq, and there's a certain imperialism in that too, Iranian imperialism. But they have a concept, there's the concept of the Ummah, you know, of like the, the Muslim community, whereas we're not. Mm. We, so it's not looked at like, wait, why are these Iranians? I mean, the Shia were, of course, under the boot heel of Saddam was the, the very much minority Sunni rulers. So, you know, getting, getting, and this is again, the Iran-Iraq war, which has killed mm-hmm. how many Iraqis? I mean, a lot. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Iraqis. And now they're effectively... Uh, running a shadow government as they are in Syria. And whether you think it's a smart thing or not, this is a great um, uh, time to point out, well, here's why the Saudis are our allies. This is, um, first of all, fuck the Saudis, but uh, second oh my of all, God, double fuck the Saudis. Uh, Chris Murphy, Senator from Connecticut, um, pretty reliable jackass, uh, but bracket that for the moment. Just a I'll post my interview with him, which was oh my about God. foreign policy. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I don't really actually know where he is on foreign policy. I think of it more in terms of uh, domestic issues. But uh, he tweets out um, a few minutes ago, Soleimani was an enemy of the United States. It's hard to pronounce that word enemy. Uh, That's not a question. The question is this. 
as reports suggest, did America just assassinate without any congressional authorization the second most mm. powerful person in Iran, uh, knowingly setting mm. off a potential massive regional war? I hear you grunting, Michael. Do you yeah. want to talk well, about I mean, this last part of that's certainly true. It could potentially do that. But I, I never find much use in the fact that um, using phrases like assassination, we assassinated somebody in a uh, military commander who's actively been killing American soldiers and uh, for a long time and, you know, terrorizing and bullying Kurds and destroying uh, Syria. This is a man who has been waging war in the region in the most aggressive, bloodthirsty way. And Americans have been victims of that. I just don't, I mean, I guess there's probably some legalistic kind of thing where it's an assassination. Okay, fine. I don't really care about that stuff. But I think that just even deploying that language is something like, you know, he's this a powerful guy in Iran without congressional approval. It's like, you know, if, would Chris Murphy have said anything if we killed, um, you know, a bunch of like low level grunt soldiers in the attack? Did he say that last week? Did he say that last week? That's the, that's I don't a, know. That's Maybe he thing. did, but I, I, I'm going to assume he didn't. Maybe I'm wrong to assume and, that. I appreciate basically every nod towards a congressional authorization. <laughs> we'll also point out that Chris Murphy, last time I look, is a member of Congress. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, of course. He's in the Senate. He can be well, tub thumping about this stuff. We've had 20 years, as our friend Eli like has, has pointed out serially, uh, working under the same damn authorization for the use of military force that mm-hmm. was passed into effect on September 14th, 2011. It is open ended. It lasts forever. Totally worth talking about. And just to like lean into Camille's late breaking semi non hatred of Pete Buttigieg, one of the, thing, <laughs> one of the things that uh, Buttigieg just pointed out, and I don't know really where uh, his whole foreign policy is, generally speaking, but he always says a couple of things, one of which is that sunset all authorizations of force, mm-hmm. three years, and we have to revote. Mm-hmm. He's totally right about that. Uh-huh. Um, he's not the only Democrat running. No, three, who, three years isn't fast enough. But, uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, he's not the only Democrat running on similar language. Uh-huh. Elizabeth Warren has been very uh, much like that and a few of the other ones as well. Um, so we should totally do that. One sentence quickly from yeah. Dexter Filkin's piece, which kind of contextualizes this a little mm. more, is that, um, you know, very sort of notoriously rigorous uh, fact-checking process. The New Yorker, this stuff is is true and it's been widely reported, but... Uh, Suleimani has orchestrated attacks in places as far flung as Thailand, New Delhi, Lagos, and Nairobi. At least 30 attempts in the past two years alone. This is 2013. The most notorious was a scheme in 2011 to hire a Mexican drug cartel to blow up the Saudi ambassador to the United States as he sat down to eat at a restaurant a few miles from the White House. Hmm. I remember that one. But that's, I mean, the long arm of Suleimani is that, again, um, I... I'm nervous about what this will yeah. will provoke. But when a person like that is acting globally with impunity, um, I don't I don't shed many tears and don't really care about the legalese of whether or not he was he was um, justifiably. And look, the, the other possibility, whatever neocon. Well, well, the other possibility is that is that, you know, attacking um, these militias and there's a possibility that that uh, they were unaware of his presence, too. Well, you mentioned uh, Chris Murphy was mentioned a moment ago and the question was raised, like, what was he saying last week? I mean, there's at least a tweet from a couple of days ago where he talks about the attacks on the embassy being in Baghdad being horrible. 
Um, Trump has rendered American impotent in the Middle East. No one Oops. fears us is the phrase that he used. <laughs> oh, no one listens wow. to Sorry, us. Wow. Um, America has been reduced I to huddling it. in safe rooms, hoping the bad reduced guys will to go huddling away. in safe rooms? What Let it, a disgrace. Reread that. It's, what? Reread that without one-hand interruption because <laughs> it's great. Sorry, it America has been reduced to huddling in safe rooms, hoping the bad guys will go away. What a disgrace. That is... Wow. Some serious Democrat sable ra- saber rattling. It's amazing. They were probably like, "Hey, uh, did you see that Chris Murphy tweet? Like, yeah, let's fuck up that guy at the airport." <laughs> and they do it, and they're like, "Wait, no, dude, he's complaining now about legal procedure." Um, wow. Yeah. Jeez, that is amazing. I, one wonders, though. I mean, gee, yeah, I get that. There's so many ways this could go. Um, one question, though, is what else happens here? Do, how does Iran ratchet things up? Just hitting American targets. I mean, Iran has been doing this only in the Middle East. Well, I mean, look, I think they know that hitting American targets outside of the Middle East. Um, I mean, as you, as I just said, the Suleimani thing of trying to get a cutout in the Mexican drug cartels to blow something up. But um, it's easier to do it in the Middle East because there's enough American targets there. Sure. And, you know, I mean, Hezbollah has been, you know, acting as a proxy and killing Americans. I mean, I remember the, the when Ronald Reagan turned tail and ran after the after the Marine barracks were bombed in I think eighty three, and that and was rightly a, so. And that was a big. Um, I mean, not bombed, but the turned tail yeah, and oh ran. Oh my God, let's go Hezbollah! Yeah, no, yeah. No. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a, that's <laughs> rightly so. Should we edit that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's rightly so, so about the bombing of them, or the no, turning tail, the turning tail. Like get the hell out! Oh. I thought that's that's one of the best. Yeah, the, the fish is just shaking his head. Yeah. <laughs> mute, anyway, mute, mute, mute fish is the best. Yeah, it's the best <laughs> because he's, he's actually a lot more bitchy. It's a little <laughs> flapping. Yeah, Harpo marks <laughs> like, like bitchy Harpo, <laughs> bitch bow. <laughs> it is well. I mean, yeah, no, I know we 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 backed out and, it, and things worked out really well for Lebanon after that. Um, but what, what, what is what are is we the, are Lebanon's keeper? <laughs> no, we're Israel's keeper. Gold that's farm. why. <laughs> what is what is um, what is American policy with respect to Iraq at this point? Like, what is the actual goal in the, in that theater? What are we trying to accomplish with the tens of thousands of well, the ten thousand plus people they were sending now are there? Um, I, look, the goal of the Trump organization, the Trump administration, of the Trump organization, the Trump organization, <laughs> which is the same thing. Trump Tower, Baghdad. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he wants to sell fucking big, long, fat ties in the yeah. middle of Tehran at the <laughs> Trump Tower hotel gift and shop. Steaks and, and bottles steaks, of water. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trump University Tehran <laughs> campus is gonna really gonna make the money back. Um, oh my god, and, emoluments well, be damned. <laughs> emoluments be damned. But no, I mean, the 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 thing is, is that that. It, the the f- f- foreign policy goal that's aggressive is one. It's Iran. That's it. That's uh, all. That's just it. be just that's be a it. counterbalance. A counter- I mean, Iran is what Donald Trump has chosen and hired people to be aggressive about. If you look at the State Department, and if you look at the people in the State Department of the the Iran, what is it, the Iran Task Group or something? I can't remember the name, the actual name of it. But um, Brian Hook is it runs it. Um, and they're they're very hawkish, and that is not the case when it comes to to like Syria, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, we've you know Donald Trump has been very clear about that, and he has actually also been very clear about the fact that Iran is the country who he believes to be the greatest threat threat to to peace in the Middle East and to 
America in a way. I mean, who else is he yeah. saying that would be up there beyond Iran? Nobody. So then what is, what is the plan? Because, I mean, if, you're not, just, if you're not just checking them by sort of existing in Iraq, you're actively bombing targets. It, it seems that the possibility of escalation is very, very real. 100% real. Especially with this particular administration whose foreign policy is just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Look, I mean, the, the most basic component of all of this is we have elections and they don't. Right. And, the, and elections kind of restrain people sometimes. Mm -hmm. If wars aren't popular, people tend to think twice about them. Right. I mean, it's often forgotten about the popularity of the Vietnam War. People mm -hmm. think it was all you know, beaded kids uh, listening to Country Joe and the Fish and purchasing the war. It's like, no, it was actually weirdly, Americans did not hate the Vietnam War. And mm -hmm. Richard Nixon was, was aware of that. And as things turn, you know, the Iranians don't have that problem. Also, Nixon campaigned as the peace candidate. He did. And he ended up being the person that, you know, ultimately <laughs> wound down the Vietnam War. He had no choice. But at, you know, now, if you think of this, like the Iranians have... You know, a friend of mine was there, was the last uh, journalist, uh, Western journalist to be there about a month and a half ago. And, you know, was, you know, sending me pictures of the fresh paintings at the American embassy. You know, they always have those, you know, death to America. They have a new coat, new, uh, new uh, artist who's come to, to put, uh, to put uh, like the, the Banksy of Islamism is now just like painting <laughs> on the walls there. And, um, you know, they're doing the death to America parades and the rest of it. This is not a country that really has to, worry about what its people say when they act recklessly in a, in, in a foreign or like when they kill a couple hundred of their own citizens and no one really pays attention. Uh, yeah. World. And if you want to see Suleimani's involvement in the green revolution and putting that down as he would put down other previous uprisings and recent ones too. I mean, no, I mean, I'm talking recent, like yeah, last month. It's a, yeah. a weird feature of our time. Look, maybe that, maybe that's, maybe I'm wrong about that. And that actually means that these people will not put up with it, but it's hard to tell in Iran. It's hard to tell. And the amount of I've been thinking about this since it's going to be inarticulate because uh, I haven't enough of uh, of the Manhattans yet. There's uh, more booze here. Uh, I'm drinking it right now. It literally hurts my insides. The problem so is when you're old gulp. enough and you and you throw a party, like yeah. you end up with way too much of a booze surplus. There's so no like, such thing. As way too much. Well, you're gonna find out. What is this? What is this that I got? This is a Grand Reserve Pear Brandy. There you go. That's literally somebody who doesn't like you. <laughs> that had been that had been like under well he brought like it in the a, garage he brought it as a gift for you oh exactly but somebody, no somebody left <laughs> no, it no, yours. yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's not something yeah uh, seek out um Air no brother. but I, I think about this because this past I year that hungarian shit sorry to interrupt you i thought hungarian shit what's it called not that's whack unicum no no no. the other one what's the other one called the, 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 it's not hungarian no 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 no. Uh, the hungarian palinka yeah palinka i got palinka it's really it's like a oh, really no. expensive bottle too it's really good. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Keep talking. I'll get you some. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to get into where it's like, yeah, fucking Iranians. We're, we're going to get into fifty six and like the. It feels like two thousand nineteen. Everyone, you know, read, wrote, had to deal with a bunch of year end crap, uh, uh, and I certainly added to that list. It feels like two thousand nineteen was right up there with around two thousand. I don't know eleven, like the Arab Spring year in terms yeah. of global tumult. And I know Camille's headed to hong kong I'm not supposed to say that right so no yeah. it's okay okay um uh soon to deal with that to, if, you're, to, if you're in hong kong send me a note and by the way that. one quick thing Whoop. is that if you're a patreon subscriber we got some stuff from camille in hong kong what are you looking at me like that for because we're interrupting matt Daddy, he's no, not, no. He's, he told me he's inarticulate <laughs> not saying anything yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i take i take my opportunities so i can find him okay exactly and we haven't been uh hyping the uh, patreon thing but so we'll talk about no it, it feels week. like yeah. that uh, 2019 was a year of 
pretty interesting global unrest mm -hmm. in a lot of places in and in, in a lot of different directions. Yeah. I mean, for crying out loud, like Argentina just reperoned uh like yeah. you know last month or a month and a half ago that's <laughs> not a small like, thing they, you know? they've had a couple of cycles of yeah. peroning recently uh just mild peroning um but uh the amount and the fact that people you know how many people died in uh were killed murdered by iran last month in december it was like at least 180 i've seen things as high as uh, 1500 that's a huge thing i mean Tiana, it's, it's it's the biggest bloodletting since 1979 and mm. and yeah how much was that talked about in the american media Nobody or just did. in your filter compared to say tiananmen square in 1989 tiananmen square just absolutely changed absolutely. the trajectory yeah. of my life um, and granted, I was of the age to consume that, but I don't think that the people who are of that age now uh, were like going, damn, man, they just killed 200 people in Tehran in mm -hmm. December. Mm -hmm. They cracked down. I don't think it's just, it's not registering. And I don't know what that is. I don't either. I'm not sure. Like, cause at a time when we have this reach, we have the ability to know what's happening in so many different countries and to see eyewitness testimony, we're going to see video of basically everywhere mm -hmm. now to some degree. I mean, even now, just the what's happening with the Uyghurs in China is just barely penetrating the consciousness of people. And this is after all of the NBA crap. It's just strange. The The global attention span right now is really odd. And the media diet is really odd. And I don't know what to do without that. Uh, Fisher just pointed something out and um, went to his Wikipedia page. And uh, it's already been filled in. Uh, Naim Qasem, who's uh, the secretary, deputy secretary general of Hezbollah, in Lebanon was now said to have been killed in the same strike, hmm. which is pretty amazing. Um, that's astonishing. Uh, in you know, the, I, I, his Wikipedia entry now says, Nam Qasem was a Shia Lebanese cleric and politician who was the second in command of Hezbollah with the title of Depu deputy secretary general on January 3rd, 2020, Qasem was killed in an airstrike at Baghdad international airport. Wow. Um, what do you do in vacation in Baghdad, dude? <laughs> I get some Lebanon's got some uh, Tripoli and Lebanon's quite nice. You go to places to vacation there, you go to the water, go swimming. What the hell are you doing in Baghdad? You're being killed. And what this is going to do scares the hell out of me. But again, I don't have a lot of uh, uh, sympathy for these people, um, particularly as a, as a fascist organization like Hezbollah. But, but the implications for us are huge and they're, are, it's, are it's, it's, it's terrifying. And, it's legitimately yeah. terrifying. And I wow. don't mean to make light of it beyond the fact that I like to see when, you know, robed fascists get uh, liquidated um, yeah. by, by missiles. Um, unfortunately, there are repercussions to all of this. And, yeah. and it, if it was that easy, we would be doing this all the time. And but, uh, I recall something I've mentioned a couple of times before, but Steve Bannon, who uh, Moynihan didn't interview recently, but who has, has interviewed in the past. Bannon, or, no, he uh, told me to go fuck myself. I've been, he sent me an email telling me to go fuck myself. Did he? Yeah. That's yeah, kind yeah. of an interview. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Yeah. I asked him a question. Can I interview? And he said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> huh. That was his uh, answer, yeah. Huh. When I saw yeah, no, him. a colleague of mine. Maybe that uh, has another meaning. Yeah. Well, we were hanging out now. Yeah. Uh, a colleague of mine, Liz <laughs> Landers, who's a fantastic journalist, and uh, interviewed him and, and, and raked him over the coals. It was very good. Yeah. So when I saw him speak at an uh, event, a luncheon thing in New York last year, I don't know how long ago, um, not that long, um, he... Uh, gave this this view of of the next 10 years or so in Mideast policy and basically said it's all a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran 
and the Trump administration has chosen Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And that's how you should understand things mm-hmm. uh, going forward. He He's the kind of person who likes to say that's how you should understand things. And it's based on a book that he read, you know, 10 minutes ago <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> but I think that it's been pretty obvious ever since the orb photo uh-huh. uh, yeah. and, you know, the. Well, he has some in, some unique direct insight here as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and as Moynihan rightly points out, every single person, regardless of how long they stay in the administration, but certainly uh, post Rex Tillerson um, are like super Iran hawks. I mean, Bolton and Pompeo, who I think probably didn't agree with one another about a lot of things, agreed about that one thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, everyone around there. I'm sure your girlfriend, uh, Camille, was probably an Iran hawk. Not that, that, she, that was her area. I don't like don't, Iran. Don't talk about I her. I do like Camille. Don't talk about her. Don't even say her name. Do you like Iran? Don't Not even say really. her name. Do you like Camille? Absolutely. She can make, she can make a hawk out of me. Oh, oh she going to make a hawk out of me. Uh, uh, like, I think she said exhale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I just want you to know, if you go to Almanar, the, the I was trying to go to um, Hezbollah's television network, and uh, as one does. apparently you can't uh, do it through uh, um, without agreeing uh, through Chrome because it's uh, your uh, connection is at risk if you do that. So mm. if you go to Almanar, uh, do it through a VPN, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a that's a crazy thing to have happened uh, right now. And hey, yeah. uh, Moynihan, sorry, can you just reply to Charles C W Cook on Twitter right now? What is he saying? He's what should I read on Soleimani? Oh. Really? Yeah. Oh God! Just I mean, there's one thing to read on Soleimani. Yeah. I mean, he'll it'll, it'll, it'll be three seconds before somebody sends that to him. That's true. Um, um, yeah, it's and Philkins right. is a very good journalist. Very, very good journalist. Um, oh my God! I'm sorry. I'm just reading live tweet. I oh, sent no. out, this is I just, sent out a all picture. we're doing is live tweeting. Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. I sent out a picture of you guys because there's like uh, someone asked for a an emergency reason podcast, and I'm like, well, you know. We got um, a better one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Why you got to do that? Shots fired. Why you got to do that? Shots fired. Yeah. Granted, good, the host is better on it's this one. It's all love. Yeah. It's all uh, love. But Ryan Kiefer, who's just earned a uh, name mention, says, can you do a Patreon on Fisher sweater? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I believe that's an, I believe that's an SAS Jeez, sweater. Fisher, wow. Fisher is taking it from all sides. It sucks. Wow, oh, man. Of all the nights that have no mic. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what else we should talk about. I'm I'm a little unsettled. Well, the, I say this. I want to say the one thing about the vape stuff. Yeah, because I just was was vaping some Iranians. The, the the latest news being that the FDA has formally today banned some of these flavored. Oh, yes, pots. Well, there's some caveats to it that yeah. that you know. By the way, I just want to point out that tobacco is also a flavor. But they're like it's the way to blend the flavored ones, but not tobacco. It's like right. Okay, so you're actually ban you're banning like tasty flavors. Yeah. So if it tastes good by For the children. FDA's yeah. standpoint, then then it'll be banned. Um, there's going to be some process, some uh, I presume very efficient government process, uh, which you can um, apply and say that your stuff is is uh, is above board and not going to hurt people, and then it will get back on the market. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, I don't believe that's going to be true, but I just want to say this: a very very it's not about anything beyond the fact that. This is one of the greatest fake news victories I've seen in a long time. It really is. It's, this is false. Everything about this is false. Mm-hmm. And the Trump administration and has been trying for a while to, to you know, wage a war on vaping, right? 
and, you know, ban this and ban that. And, you know, by the way, I was thinking today is like, why not ban drinks that taste good? Those actually kill people, kill kids. They don't, mm-hmm. uh, vaping is not killing any kids. And people say, well, no, but you didn't see the things. They're killing. That wasn't vaping, you assholes. You went after Juul, which is a company that is a big, big company headquartered in San Francisco that is producing their things at factories in the United States, has never killed anybody. And they sell this stuff in Europe. No cases in Europe, by the way. How'd that happen? How did it happen that they sell Juul in England and no one has died in England because it's not fucking Juul, okay? We know this and we know this for a fact. But they took that opportunity to go after a, a segment that they did not like, a segment like this, this, this business uh, sector they did not like. And they said, well, we don't care about the facts of these things. We're going to let this go for a long time. And then finally, it was like Freakonomics did a great podcast on it saying like, what's the truth about the vaping scandal? And it says, yeah, no, it's not. It's the vitamin E oils in illegal THC vapes because there are legal THC vapes that you can get in California and they're totally fine. They're produced and you know, mass produced and mm-hmm. they're produced in the way that a company produces something. Yeah. And the problem with this is actually the drug war. The end of the day, this is a drug war problem. And what we're doing is we're creating a new black market. So I am going to be buying these things because I quit smoking from this Juul. And I thank the people from Juul for allowing me to quit smoking. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. And those are very, very dangerous. And they kill more people. And it's, a, it's, the, it's the product that kills the most people in the world, right? And we want people to smoke fewer of these things. The Royal College of Physicians in, in the UK is much more open about this. They say you should vape and not smoke if that's mm-hmm. the option, because it's very hard to stop smoking cold turkey. People can't do it, right? That's why we still have smokers. So this thing is an absolute disaster because every mainstream news organization, we're not talking about sort of these fringy kind of things. Mainstream news organizations are saying, using that word in headlines, saying like vaping is killing people. Mm -hmm. Well, as I've said in the past, that's like saying drinking liquids is killing people when you find out they're drinking fucking bleach. The process of vaping is not what's killing people. It's what they're vaping. Good God, why is this complicated? So this overweening, heavy breathing government gets involved and says, here's our opportunity. Let's start banning things. Local governments start doing it. Charlie Baker in Massachusetts starts doing it. California starts doing it. And the, the idiot of all idiots, Bill de Blasio, starts doing it. And as I said, a friend of mine said, I'm starting to start smoking cigarettes again. And I probably would do the same thing if I had no access to this stuff because I like nicotine. Right. And <laughs> I would like to not. And I, I've tapered off quite a bit. But, you know, I'm not done. So I, I need my, my, my nicotine products. And so now because of this in, in the media malpractice on this is something that we hear about media malpractice when it comes to, you know, people like fake news and everything and saying, Oh, it's media malpractice. And it's like, no, no, you're just being partisan about these things. This is actual contemptible media malpractice. Go out there and look and see these headlines. People read headlines and it says vaping is killing this people. Vaping is doing that. Jewel's on the ropes. These are always like packaged together. Jewel has done nothing wrong. They like, oh, well, they're marketing to kids because kids like delicious flavors. It's like, well, you know, adults like delicious flavors too. And there's a lot of adults that are really mad about this. There's a vape store right across from the Barclays Center where the um, Nets play. And uh, I walked by it the other day. It's closed because New York's, you know, outlawing all this stuff. Mm. Not even the federal stuff. They're gone. It's the, the you know, there's some special... Uh, provisions in this new law for, for vape stores, but it doesn't do very much for them. Right. And it's like, you're all of a sudden like, well, it's unregulated. It's un- well, why are you getting rid of the people that are doing it right? And you're saying, well, we'll have a special provision for vape stores, which is like, you know, neck beards making their own home cooked juice in the basement. Isn't that what you want to avoid? 
Now you're encouraging that. Yeah. It is absolutely the opposite of what you should do in every possible way. I've never, ever seen something that is beginning to end such bad policy. There's always things you disagree with and things like little kind of, you know, branches off it. You shouldn't do that. This is beginning to end utter stupidity. It will hurt people. It will not help people. And if you think the kids are going to not do bad things because you told them not to start banning fucking purple passion, which is when I was in high school, was ever clear, grape flavored, ever clear that you got in two liter bottles. You drink a quarter of it and you wrap your car around a tree. Nobody ever took a puff of a fucking jewel pod that was mango and killed themselves. (laughs) Sorry, it's not real. You're all liars. I hate you. I want to add to that litany of hate um, and the media in particular and like blue state idiots and Michael Bloomberg. We, I just feel like we didn't get Bloomberg enough. No, he's always the asshole up. behind it. He's the guy just to go back to your pot and you know, uh, you know, I didn't inhale thing. He said when he first ran for mayor of New York in 2001, I inhaled. That was the whole point. And then he made New York the marijuana arrest capital of the world. Yeah. Like, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in addition to fuck him, uh, Kellyanne Conway is the author of this on the federal level. The only reason we're talking about vaping as a federal policy this year mm. is because of Kelly Ann Conway. There's no question about this. People who have access inside the white house, who I've talked to about this said that she decided in the middle of, of 2019 or sometime around there, like, you know, okay, Donald Trump, as we were talking about before is just sort of stubbornly unpopular and he's losing suburban white women uh, mm. all over the place, right? 2018 elections just as a wipeout. In the suburbs, people who are kind of on the fence uh, politically are just fleeing in droves because they're outraged. By- Has this been widely reported? No. Oh, I'm widely reporting this on the Fifth wow, Column podcast. A little reporting here. Uh, and so she says uh, this will be the great issue to bring back the soccer moms. They are going to. Uh, this is what they care about when they're talking about their kids uh, these days. So because this law will it, it prevent your kid from being work. a complete degenerate. It won't work. And the, no, it won't work. <laughs> this won't work, won't Kelly. Work. As the person I was talking to who has Let's get them on the underground. some <laughs> amount of access to the White House was reiterating to me and who's who's, who's even more angry about this than Moynihan, uh, although less public, um, points out vaping is one of these classic issues. It's probably similar. I'm making this comparison and not him. Um, to motorcycle helmets like everyone thinks that you should wear a motorcycle helmet except for people who ride motorcycles and they have successfully like forestalled like fought off motorcycle helmet laws in a lot of states not everywhere uh, it's not uniform but like it, when you have a concentrated uh, passion about a thing mm-hmm. the people who have that concentrated passion are going to be more fired up about that than the kind of shallow sense of disquiet among people who don't otherwise think about it all that much mm. I, I, I rode ride motorcycles and i'm very much in favor of motorcycle helmets not necessarily motorcycle helmet laws but motorcycle helmets yeah that's fine yeah, yeah that's fine because i don't want to um don't wanna, and actually laws are did you ever think that you'd ever say the, well i never thought i would say the sentence man i miss duncan hunter <laughs> you're him vaping on the house floor and he was like a big pro did he? Guy. that yeah. was him that was him Wow. Was he vaping was cocaine? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was vaping money that he stole from somebody, and then he was blaming his wife for the vaping. Well, tunneling under the yeah. Mexican border yeah. no, illegally. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's um, an, an incredible thing that 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 you know these there was nobody that defends this stuff. And uh, uh, to to your point about the m- motorcycle helmets is that this is also an issue that doesn't resonate with anyone when you make the issue that this is a choice issue mm. because they presume if it exists that there must be a problem. 
it must be killing people because why are we doing this? Well, kids, they get onto them. It's like, you know, when I was in high school, there was no vaping, right? There were cigarettes. There were no flavored cigarettes either. There were menthol cigarettes. Nobody smoked menthols. That was, but they banned those. And there was like the the goth kids smoked cloves and nobody cared about them. And it was like, totally true. And it was, it was uh, cigarettes and menthols and like the cigarettes, everyone smoked them. Yeah. Like everyone, like there were no flavors and everyone smoked them because kids like to do things like that. And you t- you're you're making a, a a nationwide campaign to tell them not to do these things and giving a business opportunity to people in the black market to create those things that they want to do anyway. So congratulations, Kellyanne Conway. And doing it for cynical political reasons, which is how these things happen. I just wrote a, a piece that'll go up by the time this is out uh, for the L.A. Times talking about that's not no, it's going out. It's like it might be out now. That's, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm laughing because Fisher is texting with me and he just told me that he smoked cloves in, in school. Because he was goth. Look at yeah. him. By the way, by the way, <laughs> he, was gonna do, he was complaining so because you don't inhale cloves. Exactly. And, and everyone stay around here when we do this special episode about his sweater. And then we'll do, <laughs> and then we'll talk about the clothes too. And it was just like the clothes. You said you like clothes. You're just like, yeah, I know, no shit. Of course. <laughs> Here's yeah. the thing about clothes. Like if you were at the party and you're outside and Here's people were smoking clothes, clothes. <laughs> yeah. it was probably a good party. That's the thing. What? Like, no, the the California, people, maybe. the people smoking the clothes weren't necessarily who you want to hang out with. No, but the existence of clothes. No. show that there was enough of a rogue element that things might get interesting. But that was to your point. It was one of those things that was banned that was not widely adopted. And it like, it, I mean, that wasn't your point with this, with, with, with um, vaping and like motorcycle elements, but it wasn't vi- widely adopted, but it is to the point of like, we need to ban something because this will show that we're doing something. And that's obviously the worst instinct of government always to ban things because it needs, they need to show that they're doing something, whether it's the establishment of the, of the department of Homeland security or you know, banning vaping or getting rid of flavored. And it's always like, you know, these people, they're, they're smoking these, uh, Captain Crunch. I'm like, you know what? Captain Crunch is actually worse for you than the vape. There's, <laughs> a, honest. there's a horseshoe theory of fringe movements, uh, some of whom we might have referenced earlier on this uh, very podcast, but that everyone from the crazies from the right and the crazies from the left, like eventually sort of meet or cross over or agree on certain uh, things. I think there's a horseshoe theory of, uh, kind of more centrist or kind of political normalcy, which is uh, in many ways more insidious. And this is the context I was writing about in the LA Times of like the new, like the, you know, the new trad conservatives uh, war on porn, which will go nowhere, but oh they started trying to launch uh, in December and a little bit earlier. Like I think they convinced me. I think I don't like pornography anymore because I read an article in the National Review. Going to finally first wow. things finally turned him. Yeah, I was like, "What's this magazine?" First things, I was like, "Let me turn off this movie that I'm watching." Like, How many people are in that room? A lot. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but it's only when on issues like that, and uh, Sorab Amari, who I'm getting close to pronouncing that name right. Uh, who's been one of the leaders of this. And he's also been like writing all these manifestos with various people about gobbledygook. Um, Someone hacked their computers and put their uh, porn histories like on the, on the web. Oh Oh, God. I don't want to know about that. Uh, (laughs) But he tweeted out about a month ago, about a month ago, like, uh, and he's younger than you and I, at least Moynihan and probably Fisher as well. Camille still, um, some kind of millennial, but we don't know how old he tweeted out uh, that 
wouldn't it be great if uh, social conservatives were able to make an alliance with feminists about pornography? And it's like, dude, I lived through the 80s. Yeah, that already Maybe happened. I <laughs> but he, turns out he was like seriously born in 1984. So like he didn't remember that shit happening. Uh, but um, he seriously didn't remember that. No, he didn't. No, he wasn't there. But anyways, and he's, you know, he's going through some wow. life changes. Um, uh, it's, but it's on those issues that they can find people who can agree that it's in the best interest of the children. And I mean, this is what the, the online sex trafficking act was purely about. Like, how can we mix the media irresponsibility, which is flagrant and awful about sex trafficking rings all over the place, which is What's just, the name of the anti-smoking group. The, the, the biggest one. Tell me for the, what is it? The something for tobacco free children. Not teenagers. It's yeah, crazy. it's children. You, and, and it's the, 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 the joke on The Simpsons, um, which I'm seeing all the time now because my daughter started watching it on, on Disney Plus, is, uh, is uh, uh, was it uh, Reverend Lovejoy's mm. wife who pops into every scene going, won't somebody think of the children? And that's <laughs> mocking. They're mocking her for it. And I actually saw an episode where they're mocking like a PC professor too. I was like, wow, The Simpsons needs to be totally different. Um, yeah. Anyway, but like, I think the one thing, I don't know what we're doing on time here, but the one thing I want to make sure that we get to, because we, we talked about this today is fake news. Mm. And, um, Camille, you sent a clip. Uh, I think it was you, maybe it was fish that sent a clip of Chuck Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Masha Gessen. Yeah. I sent you that. Whom I like quite a bit and, uh, uh interviewed her last year, the last year. Yeah. And it was great. And she was amazing. And we had a great interview. Um, and apparently she's uh, she's often quite grumpy, and uh, and they were they, they were like yeah she she was she turned she was like nice and she was very nice in the interview and she's very very smart and she was on with Mike McFall the mm-hmm. former U.S. ambassador to Russia um, with Chuck Todd right and this was part of his special on disinformation so is that it what devoted, that was devoted the entire episode of Meet the Press to talking about disinformation and its role in our elections and. The future and this particular segment was about Russia and disinformation. So Sorab Amri doesn't remember what happened um, in the 80s with the porn people and the feminists getting together. Apparently, Chuck Todd doesn't remember that this is a battle that has been being waged with Russia for as long as we can remember. Mm-hmm. And I find it, I, I find that, it, I find it actually embarrassing be, to watch. That can't be. That can't be true. But I mean, if you watch this stuff, I mean. That the argument. So first of all, the presumption that one has to hold when watching this is that it was such a widespread, concerted and effective effort sure. that we have to go back to it in this election cycle and make sure it never happens again. Right. Um, I don't know what they're talking about because they never talk about like, look, if there was a number like incarceration numbers for somebody who did this or that or mm-hmm. like weed crime. Everybody knows those off the top of their head. They're like, this is what we do. We right. over incarcerate. The only people more China, blah, blah, blah. There's no numbers. There's no like, like there's t- never, never any metrics for, for what, what is this Russian influence camping looks like, except for the number of people who might've saw the ad on Facebook or something like that. And, Scroll then, by it. and in that case, you get to, to rank up the numbers really, really high. I mean, you're talking about tens of millions of people who saw the ad not an indication of whether or not they clicked the ad or actually read the material there or anything. They just scrolled by the friggin' ad. And in that clip, Masha Gessen kept on correcting him, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he started at the beginning. He was like a victim of Russian disinformation. And it was like in Masha Gessen. She's like, I don't believe I was a victim of Russian disinformation, <laughs> but who somebody who has actually interviewed Putin and, and had a kind of contentious uh, conversation with him. 
Um, but yeah, I find it uh, completely baffling because what they're saying is that there's an information war between two adversarial countries. I don't, I can't think of any time in recent history with Russia or with Cuba or with anybody that that hasn't happened. And if you think of, you know, for instance, I did a story one time in, um, where I went to South Korea and we flew copies of the, the interview, the uh, Seth mm-hmm. Rogen movie into mm-hmm. on balloons. Right. We didn't mention this in the piece because you know, you don't have much time to do these things, but in the 1950s, in the 1960s, when the Iron Curtain, 61, the wall goes up, the Iron Curtain descends across uh, Eastern Europe, as Winston Churchill said in, in, uh, in a speech in Missouri. <laughs> there is a printing that the Americans did of um, Animal Farm, which they did a compacted version. It was about 40, 50 pages. And they did it in the native languages. But this first one was in Polish. And they needed to do it compacted because they needed the balloons to be able to carry them, a bigger payload. Of, so they just cut it down. And they went to the border and waited for the favorable wind conditions and they sent them out and they sent them out and it would drop the payload over Poland. And that payload would be Polish copies of 1984 and abridged version of it. And they did this quite frequently. And that was one version. The other version was in counter magazine of getting all the great writers to do this thing, the Congress of cultural freedom that the CIA created. And the Russians did the same thing. Mm -hmm. The Russians had a a number of uh, versions of this, of planting news stories if you look at Christopher Andrews, two books on this that he got from the Vasily Matrokin archive, Matrokin was the guy that brought this material out in 91. He hand copied it all. It's insane. And so there's two books about it. Uh, one's called the sword and the shield. The other one's called the world was going our way. And Matrokin brings these documents and he can pinpoint exactly articles in newspapers that were planted by the KGB all over the world, particularly started, usually started in, in um, India. So a lot of uh, favorable hmm. papers. India, South Africa, all these places. And they would plant these stories that they're fake, quote unquote, fake news stories. And they were fake. They used to call them black propaganda at the time. And they would do this quite frequently. And there's nothing new about this. Now we have the technology, which is slightly different. We can disseminate quicker, but it can also be debunked quicker. And so, you know, to say this, like it's this completely astonishing thing. Look at what's happening. This fake news stuff. I mean, this has been the MO of both Russia and the United States since the, I wouldn't even say the beginning, I would say before the Cold War started. And I would add to that, there's also been a fetishization of the potency of the new media of mm-hmm. whatever it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. in particular associated with Hitler and the 30s is radio. So uh, an entire field of media theory arose um, in the combination of like dealing with the rise of populism and nationalism and communism and fascism in the thirties that was connected with the radio, but also mm-hmm. the war of the worlds like yeah. Orson yeah. Welles freaked people's shit. And so that, that or was Jack Schaefer would tell you that that's overblown. It's but, overblown, yeah. but yeah. still it's a thing. Yeah. Um, or it's like part of the overblownness is people assuming that it was more of a real huge thing in real time and building their assumptions based on that. Yeah. Uh, and there's a similar story to be told about the, the, uh, Kennedy Nixon debates in, mm-hmm. in, in 1960 as well. The but TV versus radio. TV yeah. versus yeah. radio. But still, that for media theorists that held sway. And think about what what is what is part of that based on? Part of that is based on the idea that uh, individual humans are these helpless vassals, mm-hmm. um, vessels actually, not vassals. Uh, uh, like they just sit there passively, and they can be pumped in with 
with like stuff Mm -hmm. and they change their minds and do things. And whenever a media is new, you get this. So Mm -hmm. it was radio. Then it became television. Then it became talk radio in the Mm -hmm. nineties. Bill Clinton used that misused that to incredible degree in the wake of uh, Timothy McVeigh massacre. Um, And then it becomes the internet now. And each time when you go back and see how people were talking about it in the early days of the panic, it reveals itself to be absurd, absolutely yeah. absurd. And it's based on technological I- ignorance, which is absolutely uh, amplified by media, which always in these cases are self-interested to be hostile towards the new competitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to not really understanding the, the tech of it. Um, and the underlying theory is that people are dumb shits and they're just going to do what they're told. But yeah, I think the one thing that is super important that I think all of that's true. The one thing that I think you're missing is that when you go back and you talk about people know who Joseph Goebbels is, right? And propaganda minister people, do people know who the head of the Luftwaffe was? Well, some people might say Herman Goering, they might know this, but they know Goebbels, right? Cause they think of uh, the propaganda of the third Reich and it was mm-hmm. like Lenny mm-hmm. Riefenstahl and everything. And, you know, as you said, radio was a big thing. People see the Volkswagen, the people's car, right? They had something called the Volksempfänger, which was the people's radio that you would get one of these things you could listen to the radio all the time. But I think that why this stuff exists and the, the reason people tell these stories, the reason the Russia story is told like this on MSNBC is because it exonerates the people. And it doesn't yes. actually allow them to be individuals that actually got caught up in fascism. They were, they were, they were kind of hypnotized by radio and by the cinema. And, you know, Lenin said these take trains across the Soviet Union showing films. And they said, Lenin had this famous quote about the, 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 the cinema is the kind of vanguard of the revolution. You have to mm-hmm. have it. And it doesn't mean it's not effective. And they, they use this in an effective way, but it also doesn't speak to the very simple fact that, you know, czarism at that point was something that was on the ropes mm-hmm. in Nazi Germany. They, the people supported Hitler. They just did. And it was not a majority uh, because we see those last elections, they're kind of falling off in 1933, but there was enough of plurality and enough mm-hmm, of people mm-hmm. to, to get it. So why in like in films at the time, you'll notice that there were never good Japanese people because we didn't know them. We didn't understand them. They weren't amongst us, especially people that were German Jews that were making, you know, we knew them on the West coast. Well, we just put them in open air camps. Well, well precisely. But, but you know, I, but I think the point being is that, is it, Which you know, to Michelle Malcolm, totally fine. Uh, Hollywood was not full of like Japanese film producers. So we had in every film, a good German, right? There's mm-hmm. always a good German. There's always somebody sticking up against the Nazis that there's a million of these films. I can think of a bunch of them. And so that was a thing that, that we had this idea that the Germans must've been hypnotized by this man who spoke in a very particular way. And he was hypnotic. You, you hear this all the time when people talk about Adolf Hitler is he was hypnotic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, I mean, there is a point that, that there's a million reasons why, but he was just quite popular for a lot of political reasons too. And right now with the Russia stuff, which I find really amazing is that, is that MSNBC should probably st- take a step back and just try harder to figure out why people liked Donald Trump mm-hmm. rather than saying that they were either suffering from false consciousness or they were, they were wooed or hypnotized by a foreign power. And you sent on a piece, an interview uh, with Chuck Todd in Rolling Stone in which Mm -hmm. Rolling Stone asked a question, which I thought was absolutely remarkable considering the, the history and, and pedigree of Rolling Stone is that the question was this, 
what surprises it was not a question it was a statement from the interview to chuck pod uh-huh. what surprises me most is the lack of fear of being called out as unpatriotic imagine think about that sentence for a second mm-hmm. that is saying do, that, do it again slower what surprises me most, and these are the people that they say are carrying water for, for right. Moscow. Right. The various, the various Republicans who show up on, on Meet the Press with, with as Chuck Todd describes it, no. Russian talking, talking points, points that they're using to defend the president. Yeah. And by the way, there are some people who do that. Dana Rohrabacher is a great example. They're stooges of the Kremlin. That doesn't mean they don't exist. But to, mm-hmm. to apply it in this broad way, what surprises me most is the lack of fear by these people doing these talking points of being called out as unpatriotic. Mm-hmm. They don't wow. hear the charge of, wow. like, I mean, this would be something that Rolling Stone in the past would be like, Holy that is a malicious, ugly charge. Imagine yeah. Grover are, Lewis, imagine Hunter S. Thompson, <laughs> yeah. imagine Tom Wolfe, imagine anyone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I've gone on too long. Chuck, but, Chuck but, yeah. Todd's response to that, you can go and read it. It's a, it's a little unintelligible. Um, it Probably one of those interviews, I imagine him getting up from walking away from the table saying, God, that, that was a little bit, I mean, did yeah. that sound okay? Did that yeah. make sense? <laughs> I good? don't mind him oh, either, yeah, so but fine. it's just like, it's, yeah, I don't mind but the guy, this, was but not like, a good this look. is not a good look. I, I will say though, what, what you said a moment ago about, you know, uh, the impulse to try and create or to, to, to engineer some sort of excuse that can be used to explain away the people's bad decision. I don't know if that, that fully explains what's going on with the, with the Russia election interference. Story. To be clear, I don't mean fully. I just yeah, mean that it's yeah. a part of it. Yeah. 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 yeah and and sure. I, I wasn't even imputing yeah, yeah, that yeah. you were saying so. I, I, maybe I was a little bit, but that's yeah. probably <laughs> who was talking. I, I didn't mean to, um, but it is, it's confounding for me. And you talked earlier about just this insane um, overreaction, the hysteria, um, the moral panic around the, the, vaping and the jewel pods and everything else, the moral panic around this particular issue mm-hmm. has just been sustained for so long. And at least when it comes to the jewel pods, there are actual dead bodies. Like there are, there are some corpses, there are a, a handful of people who've gotten sick associated with vaping. It's been in like the last 12 months and the trend hasn't been, it seems as been, though it's dissipated. If yeah, not well, gone it also completely. hasn't been nicotine. Yeah. But so this is different, but there are some dead bodies I just don't see any tangible evidence that this had a profound impact on the election. I don't see much reason for any serious person to look at this election meddling. And I'm using air quotes. You can't see them at home um, being a, a, a particularly important aspect of the election or even likely to be an important aspect of the election going forward. But it's still at the forefront of people's minds in a way that is just surprising for me. The analytical people who I expect to be serious and to ask probing questions, and they just don't do it. And it's is very it not strange kind of me. a similar version of in 2004 planting the seed that Bush is going to cheat in Ohio? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, let's get the story before in case this doesn't go our way. And let's not forget that Hugh Hewitt wrote a book that season said, if it's exactly. if it's close, close, they can't cheat. They can't cheat. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And look, in the other direction. And I, and, and you know, I just, I think that the administration is, has, you know, you know, muddled along in every possible way and has been disastrous in, in, in almost every way, but when it comes to, mm-hmm. comes to Russia, but it's, it's, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of the people that are nominally Russia hawks. Um, that weren't Russia hawks, you know, I mean, when Hillary Clinton was walking around with a reset button that was misspelled in Russian, <laughs> uh, no one cared then. But, you know, we do, these people do tend to forget the most basic thing. It's a very obvious thing. 
is that the thing that they're impeached the guy on was holding up weapons for the Ukrainians to fire at Russian little green men. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of significant. If this man is a stooge of 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 the Kremlin, I don't think he's clever enough. And I think that as we've talked about a lot in this, he's just impressed by, you know, people that can do whatever they want, like Vladimir Putin, who he said these things like they can just do what they want. As he said about Tiananmen in a Playboy interview. It's bizarre. Many, bizarre. Yeah. He like he's he's entranced by that. It's not ideological. It's not even political. It's like he's impressed by that's the guy I kind of want to be for America. Mm. But it doesn't mean that his policies, ideas align with that. You don't appoint John Bolton um, if you if you are actually thinking about these things, because mm-hmm. you would very quickly think this is not a man who is who is sort of jello spined and weak need about Russia. But, you know, it's amazing to think that, you know, the big thing that this man is going to be impeached over is something that is providing lethal assistance to the Ukrainians to yep. fire at, at, at Russians, which ultimately he's done more, did more of than Barack Obama. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Donald I, Trump's last tweet today, 13 minutes ago. And I hate to be the guys who are just talking about Donald Trump tweets um, is just an American flag. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's where it's so morning. Of an American is, flag, is it, is which, he which is it? both, which is both funny and a little terrifying. No, it's just oh, it's an image of the flag. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It's that's, that's really yeah. God. Uh, I want to um, spend a tiny bit of time talking about someone who likes to retweet uh, Donald Trump, but also uh, someone who is. Um, oh, I don't. Rem- oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, myself <laughs> <laughs> beating us up, but beating me and Moynihan in particular up about. Um, you deserve it. Thank you. Just because he says. I don't even know what you're talking about. Just because he says, hey, Camille, oh, you'll, you, you'll see you single handedly made we the fifth into the show. It is uh, despite the true. mediocrity of MC Moynihan and true the, and the cringiness <laughs> of fake. Matt Welch. Oh, yeah. Also um, true. I, totally I, true. I, I like those guys, but I mean, you know, sure. <laughs> OK, uh, but Go anyways, on. I bring this up not because of the um, of the uh, crude insults, but because he actually brought up a point that's worth discussing. And I want to thank him or thank the concept and encourage others to do it too, which is went back, listened to the archives and said, you guys are wrong about this. Are you going to revisit? Um, In the specific case, he's talking about uh, our initial, or at least what I read in his tweets as our initial reaction to Devin Nunez's. And yeah, I'm pronouncing it right. You bastards. All you Portuguese people, (laughs) I appreciate you. I love the fact that you listen to this. It's fine. The gentleman doth protest too much. You I'm not sure that Portugal is a real country because I've never been there. So I'll just take your word for it. But it's not Nunez. Anyways, um, no, he's saying in the light of the inspector general's report, mm-hmm. which is pretty damning yeah. uh, about the way that the FISA process, the foreign intelligence, whatever it is. Total bullshit. Uh, thank you. Uh, eh, whatever. I was, I was, was going to bluff. Um, uh, that the way it was, there was like 17 major mistakes that people – always fudged things in the direction of, yeah, let's just go ahead. And, mm-hmm. and this is really important to have this uh, uh, warrant out on Carter page. And so um, this listener um, in perhaps rude language basically said, when are you cowards going to revisit what you said about this back in February, 2018. Um, and so I responded among other things that, um, you know, that we would. So I wanted to do that just a little bit for my own self. I went back and re-listened to what we actually said in February, 2018. If you recall the Nunez memo, it's really hard for me to pronounce it that way. God damn. Um, 
is uh, this was built up, and this is what we actually spent most of our time talking about in this particular episode. This was built up as the thing that was going to discredit the Mueller investigation, which was not a report at that point. It's still an ongoing investigation once and for all. Once people read this, Mark Meadows was out there, other people, uh, this is just going to blow the lid off everything, expose the deep state coup, the Strzok page love affair, all these kind of things. You are going to see what happens with the Nunes memo. Um, so our uh, podcast was recorded basically hours before um, this was released. And then it wasn't after it was released, it took a while for it to get unveiled. So our discussion was uh, not an actual reaction to it. The way that it's described here, it's calling me Mikey's deranged older brother. Um, I, I don't even get that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But basically uh, saying Two that better insults. only one side was working in bad faith in terms of this. This is his uh, tweet to me and us. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you man enough to acknowledge this now uh, instead of obfuscating and continuing to um, to denigrate uh, Republicans, etc.? And I went back and listened to it. And we didn't actually do the things that we were accused of doing. And it's worthwhile to act, to go through the process, and which is why I sincerely thank him and anybody else who says, hey, look, you got things wrong. Go back and listen to it. Can you address it? Because that's useful. I mean, although, although we kind of did. I mean, we'd kind of already done that. The podcast that he's giving us shit for is the one where we, we talked about the revelations and I specifically brought up the fact that Nunez had been getting shat upon. Um, and it looks like this is actually a bit of redemption for him because he was precisely right on some important points about the way that the FISA court um, had essentially been abused um, in terms of the presentation of the case in order to get these warrants. Yes. And this is an important thing to, to look at. So I went and looked and we, at, we acknowledged it at the time. Uh, I went back and looked at anything, everything that I've written about uh, Devin Nunes as a response to this. And the one thing that I would look, uh, and which isn't very much mm-hmm. because as I mentioned very specifically on the podcast that he went back and, and, and looked at, um, I said, we don't know. We're talking about something that hasn't been uh, released. We're talking about something that's based on intelligence reports that not only we haven't looked at, but Devin Nunes hadn't looked at it. That Trey Gowdy, who Moynihan interviewed in a very interesting interview to go look at, said, I've seen the raw intelligence and there's nothing in it to suggest that the Mueller investigation shouldn't take place. Right. Another thing that we mentioned, but we also mentioned in all of that, that Adam Schiff uh, has been acting like an ass clown for a year. And maybe like Devin Nunes was trying to uh, steal his thunder. And we basically preached context and, uh, and uh, kind of admitting that you don't know where you're, you're at with all of this stuff, not working backwards from a conclusion. Um, but I did write in, uh, in the LA times, I um, uh, accused Nunes or the Nunes memo of, uh, of, being uh, uh, like falsifying something, some language to that degree. And I think that was too strong. I think he got some things right and some things wrong. uh, Matt, how can you be a journalist or a writer if you get things wrong? (laughs) How is that? (laughs) Can you like explain yourself? There's an assumption that people who work in journalism are just like too afraid to admit that they're wrong. And like, you don't know. I don't think I do anything but admit that I'm wrong. It's actually (laughs) super the opposite. Like, uh, in 
hopefully not even any kind of idealized sense of it. Like, please, we assume that we're wrong, especially when Moynihan is like talking with his mouth uh, and uh, we're in a room uh, <laughs> together. But like the whole point of the exercise <laughs> is another. To, what was this? A new T-shirt uh, talking with his mouth <laughs> again. Uh, but the point of the exercise is to like try to learn shit and get better at it and to be corrected. And this is not like something that you're like secretly trying to hide and to forestall. So, um, talking with the mouth. I like that. What was the other one from earlier? It's uh, some face, kind of face. Uh, I don't remember. Face fascism. Face, like that. face tyranny. So Matt just uh, addressed a guy who had seven followers. He's like yeah. retweeting Charlie no, Kirk it, like, and then offended the entire country of Portugal. Sure. To, as a lead in. But even the seven <laughs> follower guy is right to say, hey, look, you might have gotten something wrong here. Are you going to engage people in conversation? I mean, we have a lot of people. We have a lot. I mean, I have a lot of emails to get to. I'll get to them. I promise. There's a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and the people are critical, you know, and people say critical things, um, including we have, uh, uh, an Orthodox, uh, Jewish listener who took me to task in a Patreon episode, which I did actually correct. No, I think it was actually the normal episode. I, t- I, I corrected it on the Patreon page on the kind of comment section of saying, like, I, I meant to say, um, Yiddish and I said Hebrew, um, instead. Mm-hmm. And like people correct you on pretty much every mistake that you make. Mm-hmm. And you talk for two hours, you're going to make some mistakes, Yeah, but just do it with a sense of, of, of dignity. Don't debase yourself and start. Like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, you really insulted the Portuguese there. And uh, I just want to make sure. I don't even know if it's a country. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Listen, if, I, way, if, I if you wanted, there? if you wanted to make fun of it, you could have said, you guys had a fascist dictator and no one even remembers him. <laughs> <laughs> Salazar. Yeah. And they'll say, well, he was just like a Catholic. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Oh my, my, uh, my, my uh, crappy origin story that no one wants to hear ever again. Oh dear um, God. Here we go. It was always like, it's all about go. Eastern Europe. All this kind of stuff. But actually Cuba. it was a coin toss between Lisbon and Prague because mm-hmm. Lisbon sounded pretty good in the let's go. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe if you'd gone, you'd, pr- you'd learned how to pronounce it. How's your Lisbon? <laughs> oh, Lisbon. I think that was like the. So this girl is why I'm not the going. Cosby they don't know show. how to pronounce any of their words. No, no, no. I know. I know they don't. They don't like you either. Just uh, so the record. But it's worth for people who are interested in this. And and keep in mind, my first reaction to the uh, the IG Horowitz report, I think, on our Slack was like, "Let's get Eli on," because Eli Lake from Bloomberg uh, View is like the only person out there defending Carter page in the universe. And he has been, and he's done it on our podcast before. Mm-hmm. And if anyone was vindicated from the Horowitz report that was showing um, that some of the Nunes memo stuff was not crackpot, um, it was, it was Eli. And mm-hmm. this yeah. is and like, yeah, let's yeah. get, let's get that on. Let's have him do a victory dance. But also Nunes had a broad theory as has Donald Trump, as has a bunch it's of people. Nunez. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Uh, but that it's all this was concocted by some like love affair, deep state coup between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And the IG report said, no, that's you know, just we, not true. Two things that we haven't talked about. One, it's been some weeks since this happened. And granted, this was over the holiday. I am not sure who, if anyone, has been fired from the FBI behind this report that came by. Down, Good question. Which is a pretty devastating report, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so that's one but thing. they're not so done with that, are they? They're not done. We are actually expecting another um, yeah. another investigation to conclude um, at some <laughs> what point. Is, in the and Trump calls him Bull Durham. <laughs> he says he's getting it from Bull Durham. Have you seen this? No. 
Yeah. It's the Durham report. Um, But the other thing is, I think there was also a strongly worded letter that came from the FISA court, um, essentially asking the FBI to clean up their act and to to tell them what's going on. But you know what, FISA court, you actually fucking failed too. Mm -hmm. Like you are pretty bad. Something is really wrong and it's not just the process. Um, It's, it's actually is the process itself fundamentally and it is your process. So your strongly worded letters are not sufficient. I do hope that some of the scrutiny actually sticks around and I'm confident this hope is in vain. We've, we've essentially chewed up all that we wanted out of it at this stage. And by we, I mean the American people altogether who are failing miserably on holding any of this stuff and having an enough of sufficient attention span to actually devote attention to what's really wrong here. I mean, once the Democrats essentially got their talking point that, he didn't find any sort of political motives. Well, he didn't find it. But whatever. And once the Republicans got there, well, Devin was right. He was right. That That's it. At this, we just move on and no fundamental reforms actually there end is, up happening. And maybe no one actually gets fucking fired when they really ought to. Let's fire some people. And let's also reflect for a second on uh, the reaction to this from Benjamin Wittes, who's one of the sort of biggest, like, resistant knowledgeable resistance order of the baby cannon law person order of the baby cannon mm-hmm. type guys out there yeah. uh, who's been banging the drum i read i read him with profit uh, and I, even if i make fun of his tiny cannon um he says and, and as a euphemism and this is this is of particular interest to those people and there's a subset of of them among listeners who are like yeah you know justin amash is a sellout and it's only Mark Meadows and Devin Nunes who's really can, is fighting the deep state right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Benjamin Wittes says, the broad point I want to emphasize here is that the Horowitz report does, in fact, pose a deep challenge to those of us who have broadly defended mm-hmm. expansive surveillance authorities over the past several years mm-hmm. and regarded the FISA process as embedding adequate safeguards against abuse of those authorities. Yep. Thank you for saying what we've been arguing at you mm-hmm. about Benjamin Wittes all, all these years. Um, we should get him on the show. We should. He's a, a, a smart fella. Um, but that is the takeaway here. And it's precisely the takeaway that people are not acting upon in any sure. meaningful sense yeah, because yeah. they're going to exactly those categories that you accurately named before. Yeah. Well, I tried to try to through this rosé beverage that uh, Moynihan put in front of me. I just, rose? My stamina. Just, it just, it just it sucks. Dry weak constitution. Yeah, it's, I give yeah. it a Camille. I mean, it's a girl drink. <laughs> Did you ever see that girl drink drunk sketch? By, uh, on Kids in the Hall? Look I'm, it up. It's I'm man good. enough. I'm it's man good. enough. Um, um, we should probably we should get, get out, out of here, here in a little bit. I want to go home and turn on the television and wait to see if Brian Williams will be on television. Just, just waxing poetic about I how was America there is. at the Baghdad guided. airport when it was attacked. <laughs> guided by and the beauty I, of our weapons. Stupid I was trying to find, by the way, the, that British guy, and I'm going to respond to him. Um, I'll send him an email, but I couldn't. I found a different guy who sent something four days ago. The PS on this mm. is, PS, I know it's unlikely, but can I suggest a London show? Can't Camille just pay for everyone's flights? <laughs> Good point. Excellent point. That's, Piers, a different, that's a different Camille another this time. Is, this is my man, Piers, yeah. who wrote a very, very nice email. Um, Cutting into my sneaker budget. And I really appreciate it. And, um, and uh, I'm going to try to get Camille to take a few of those mm-hmm. pairs of sneakers that he doesn't wear mm-hmm. and probably sell one of them and get us all first class tickets. Yeah, and already, full sleeper. already did. You already did. Yeah. I had you to know. pay for the renovation in the basement. Oh, Do you know what my 11 year old daughter asked me just this afternoon? What did she ask you? Daddy, mm-hmm. 
would you ever consider buying me a first class ticket on wow. an airplane? Wow. I've got that too. You should, Daddy. Because um, it's true. <laughs> it's true because uh, when she travels with her mom, uh, well, when I, I, I have um, uh, clear, which is mm-hmm. like anybody can get it. It's like 70, yeah, yeah. 80 bucks. The Scientology thing? Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, you, you go clear and you, you know, L. Ron Hubbard takes you through a special tunnel. Um, get all the thetans out. Yeah. yeah. I could get say so. Out. Get into the thetan room. <laughs> is there a thetan room? No. Barry, uh, Barry Bonds comes in the, and wipes stuff on what's his the, What's the, the <laughs> sea org? What? Sea org. Sea org. And the clear and the cream. It's yeah, all yeah, the clear. He's, he's mixing things up. And yeah, but so I go through that and then, um, cause you, know, you travel a lot and you get some status and you get on the yeah, plane, yeah. you get upgraded and everything. Yeah. And she, um, are, are Thetans, they are like ET sperm. You really it's just like the whole thing. took that back to the thing. I mean, like oysters <laughs> and wow. crabs, I think. Oh, are wow. but yeah. Go ahead. I can't, I can't, I mean, this is not as good as your Thetan bit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, she's just like, now it's created like a class war with her, with uh-huh. her mother. Yeah. She's like, you know, why do we get to sit in steerage and, you know, dad, we get to the front of the line. Uh, and it's because he's obviously on Vice News tonight. <laughs> and uh, you know, that was a huge one. Uh, and, you know, he gets up to the, the better seats. And, yeah. like, and it's it's created a little simmering uh, conflict. There. It's, it's right. I'm like, if you want to go. Yeah. With because uh, I'm going uh, with them uh, to Florida soon in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, for an event, not yeah. for a vacation. Well, it's a vacation, but I mean, yeah. Isn't so if there's Scientology any, in Florida, yeah, yeah, yep. Big Good water, big one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if there's anybody in Florida that is in the northern bit in the Orlando region, I, I don't know what I'm going to do there. So if you want to come drink with me, please, yeah. please do so because yeah. I'm going to be going completely crazy. And I so. think we'll we'll probably get one more in before I leave for Hong Kong. So we'll I'll yeah. do the whole oh. thing when we talk about that later. Patreon. Please subscribe. And the reason you should subscribe, because at, you know, the $5 level, you provide us with sustenance and you do that. Like most Patreons, you just grateful. pay them and mm-hmm. you don't get anything because you're just supporting the podcast. And then the $10 tier and above, um, we give you extra special episodes that we record just for you. Mm-hmm. And we've had a really, really good time doing it. Um, and I suggest something to Camille and he says uh, in Hong Kong, he's going to do a daily diary dispatch mm-hmm. that we will post um for for patreon listeners yeah. and maybe we'll be nice to the people that are giving us five dollars and post it for everybody yeah i think we'll probably do that so yeah. um they'll, they'll be called the tear gas journals yeah, the and t- i will tear just ga- be oh, i'll record those oh, as i'm tier, washing the tear gas and out then of the my tears face, of patreon yeah. too is it double oh, i didn't wow. yeah. oh you didn't even realize Ooh. that oh, i, I was thought you were being clever that. yeah <laughs> on purpose with the layers um all right let's get out of here cool let's go all right Bye. Bye. We we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horror.